Field medic Harrison was doomed. He should have listened to his brother Daffith in the first place. Right now, he could have been doing something safe and dull. Like his brother, who worked in a care home back on Earth. Right now, Daffith would be paring the skin from around an ingrown toenail for a grateful elderly patient. A rich, grateful elderly patient. But here was Harrison, squelching across a pitted, muddy battlefield on recension. A dismal, bruised planet, light years from safe and dull. Harrison was cold, wet, tired, scared half to death, and trying not to get run down by a reversing supply vehicle. It loomed large in the soaking fog that enveloped everything. Mud-spattered brown uniforms scurried in and out of sight as soldiers busied themselves all around him. Get out of the way! Harrison yelled at a figure nearby. That truck'll roll right over you! The driver wouldn't even notice the bump as it crushed you to death! Sorry, panted the other man. He was thin and edgy and glanced nervously around into the fog. You should be, Harrison admonished him. There'll be plenty enough work for me when the Aquabi bombardment starts without having to patch you up. Combat staff are my priority. The thin man nodded and snorted an odd little laugh down his nose. Pleased to meet you, Medic Harrison. My name's Nash. I'm an embedded journalist with his platoon. He extended his spindly arm for a handshake that Harrison did not accept. I guess that, Nash, said Harrison. I don't know what told me. Probably watching your futile attempt to keep your nice civilian uniform clean. Or maybe just what General Brudge told me about you. Harrison enjoyed using the general's name like a club to beat people into submission. Unlike one of the soldiers, though, Nash didn't flinch when he heard it. Harrison hated everything about the journalist. His inquisitiveness, his stupid laugh, his thin moustache, his dreary nasal voice. Harrison tried another approach. Help unload the supplies from the truck, he snapped. Fresh weapons? Nash asked him. Harrison snorted. For all the good they'll do us against those Aquabi devils. I want the medical supplies. Dr. Lenova has dispatched booster immunizations from the Van Nuys Hospital. A hundred meters away, another huge supply truck heaved its way across the lumpy morass. Harrison could hear a strange new sound behind the vehicle noise. A clattering, grating sound like a much more powerful engine. It stopped with a thump, and all Harrison could hear now was the main engine chattering to a halt as the truck parked. He watched Nash pick his way prissily across the churned mud. The journalist looked like a khaki flamingo attempting to step on high, dry mounds of earth as he made his way to the rear flaps of the first truck. Hurry up! Signals say that the enemy bombardment is imminent! Harrison yelled at him. And don't expect help from me then, he muttered to himself. When the Aquabi attack, any civilian in this area is as good as dead. In the rear of the second truck, meanwhile, the door of a tall blue box opened. Donna Noble stepped out of the TARDIS and sniffed the air suspiciously. She and her friend the Doctor were the two newest civilians to arrive on the battleground of Recension.
Doctor Who, Pest Control. Written by Peter Angelidis. Read by David Tennant. Part One. Your parking is rubbish, Doctor. Donna clambered over a wooden crate that blocked the entrance to the TARDIS. I'd ask you to have another go, but I bet your three-point turn is even worse. The Doctor hopped onto the crate and pulled the TARDIS door closed behind him in one smooth movement. How many times did you say you'd set your driving test? And when I say sat, I mean got to the driving the car stage. And when I say driving the car, I mean frightening the examiner. He grinned down at her from his wooden pedestal. I remember you being taller. Donna craned her neck to look up at his tall, rangy frame. They'd landed in the back of a large transport vehicle, and the doctor's head almost scraped the taut green fabric of its roof. She could feel the truck floor tilting slightly, the hum of the engine mingled with sounds of people talking outside. The tarpaulin was transparent enough to reveal that it was a bright day. Occasionally, the material darkened with the shadows of passers-by. The space was cold and a bit damp. Donna was glad she'd put on her new leather boots and worn this cardigan over her dress. The truck was twenty metres long and half as wide again. They were alone in the space. It was half filled with rough wooden crates, scattered at angles on the corrugated metal floor. Maybe they packed in a hurry, Donna observed. And what is that smell? The doctor threw his head back and gave a huge sniff. Ah! Yes, recognise that anywhere. Biodegradable thermoplastic aliphatic polyester with overtones of petroleum fractions, hydrogenated polyolefins, esters, silicon and, mmm, yes, fluorocarbon with a smattering of ocrosol and picrosol. He smacked his lips like a chef appreciating a fabulous entree. Oh, yeah, said Donna, unconvinced. The doctor jumped down from the box and the truck rattled as his trainers hit the metal floor. Put it another way, that's the smell of soldiers' uniforms, weapons lubricant and sweat. Donna wrinkled her nose. Oh, thanks a bundle. Did you use a tricorder to work that out, Dr McCoy? It's a sonic screwdriver, said the doctor, and you don't need to be on Star Trek to work it out. See for yourself, Captain Kirk. He directed her gaze to the words stenciled on the nearby crates. Uniforms and rifles, read Donna. What about the sweat? I bet those boxes are really heavy, replied the doctor. Some squaddies will have heaved them in here. Donna examined a smaller box by the fabric wall of the truck. Couple of packs of medical supplies too. Hang on, squaddies? Hello, said the doctor. Camouflage clothing? Instruments of death? This is a military transport, not the 272 from Chiswick. He plucked his sonic screwdriver from his jacket and sprang the lock on the nearest box. Ooh, fancy stuff. Handguns with isomorphic response butts. I don't even want to ask, replied Donna. A gust of cold, damp air wafted into the truck as the rear flaps opened abruptly. A sallow-faced young man stared in at them, his head and shoulders poking into the truck as his eyes adjusted to the darker interior. He seemed surprised to find that the truck was occupied. The collar of his muddy brown uniform was embellished with a striking green crescent. Donna grimaced. They'll be pleased to see us then. The doctor had already taken out his psychic paper. They will now. Hello there, I'm Dr McCoy and this is Captain Kirk. We're undercover, literally, as it happens in this, uh, covered vehicle. Field medic Harrison, sir. 
replied the young man. Despite his cramped position, he snapped off an awkward salute to Donna. Wasn't expecting you, ma'am. I'll have the men unload and advise Sergeant Chaco you're here. With this, he vanished back through the flaps. That was surprisingly easy. The doctor pondered this for a while. Maybe he has other things on his mind. Captain Kirk, growled Donna. What was wrong with Corporal Noble? They're going to put me in charge, and then I'm going to forget my own name. See where that gets us, Dr. McCoy. The doctor smiled apologetically. Working fast, acting quickly, he said, and nodded to the rear of the truck. Anyway, moving on. Oh, Dr. Noble, continued Donna. She pulled her cardigan straight and began to negotiate her way backwards out of the truck. I could have been Dr. Noble. Why do you always get to be the doctor? I am the doctor, he replied in an affronted tone. Donna slithered carefully through the exit flaps of the truck, trying to avoid putting creases in her dress. Well, just for once, why couldn't it be... Ah ah! A confusing combination of sensations overwhelmed her. The noises outside the truck were much louder than she'd expected. The truck's thrumming engine and the soldiers tramping past, brandishing their futuristic weapons. She couldn't see very far because of the fog, which was bright and dense in all directions, and through which figures appeared or vanished apparently at random. The air was bitingly cold, even through her lovely cardigan. And worst of all, her new boots had immediately sunk at least twenty centimetres into thick, gloopy mud. "'Doctor!' she wailed. His face appeared through the fabric at the rear of the truck. To her great annoyance, he seemed really pleased with what he saw. "'Oh, well done!' he beamed. "'You clever old thing!' "'You what?' snapped Donna. The doctor sat down on the tailgate and dangled his feet over the edge. "'Brilliant parking!' he grinned. "'Landed neatly in the back of this truck to save us getting our shoes all muddy. "'Well, save me getting my shoes all muddy.' Um, I don't suppose this is helping, is it? Donna glared at him. She was about to speak when what looked like a motorcycle slewed to a halt nearby, spraying fat gobbets of mud right across her. The rider leapt from the saddle and seized an attaché case from his crudely parked vehicle. Donna watched his peaked cap bobbing up and down as the rider disappeared into the fog. Oi! bellowed Donna. Come back here, you clumsy tow rag! She spat out several flecks of mud and wiped her mouth indecorously on a clean part of her sleeve. The doctor held his arms out wide. Donna reached up to take his hands, but he waved them around in an expansive gesture instead. Look at this lot. Second great and bountiful human empire. Pioneers into the far reaches of their own galaxy and beyond. I need a bit of help here, said Donna. Her boots had sunk as far as her calves now. They're humans, Donna, just like you. The doctor had clearly misunderstood her. Donna leaned on the tailgate beside him and banged her head against her forearms. Three broad-shouldered, dirty-faced soldiers brushed past Donna and clambered on board the truck to unload. The doctor shuffled aside to let them aboard. Donna was surprised to see that one was a woman soldier. She seemed so slight in comparison to the others. Her eye-dent badge said her name was Merriam. Field medic Harrison returned. He gave a tired salute and began to explain how they were starting to unload. He looked uneasily at Donna's face. She screwed up her eyes at him in puzzlement. Sorry, ma'am. Harrison turned from Donna and intercepted Miriam as she disembarked from the truck. Let me have that one, Private. He removed one of the smaller boxes from Miriam. Donna recognised it as the medicines container. 
Harrison fumbled inside it and handed Donna a strip of capsules in a blister pack. You should take your immunisation booster, ma'am, he told her. One now and then on the hour. The mud may be toxic, but we won't have time to analyse it before those devils on horseback start their bombardment. Orders from General Brudge. He paused, as though the name was significant, and seemed disappointed in her lack of reaction. Donna just stared at the capsules in her hand. Before she could say anything, Harrison had loped off across the mud, elegantly avoiding the deeper holes. Donna slipped the capsules into her cardigan pocket. Bombardment? I don't like the sound of that. The doctor watched Harrison vanish into the swirling fog. All this mist, we must be near water, he pondered. Or in a dip. Still, look on the bright side. No biting insects on a day like this, though mozzies don't really bite, of course. They suck. I am glued to the spot, Donna said. I know, it's fascinating, isn't it? The doctor was off on one again, his enthusiasm bubbling over. First, they inject a mild painkiller that actually numbs the pain, and then, Doctor, stated Donna carefully, I am glued to the spot, stuck in the toxic mud. Stop babbling about bugs and get me out. Sorry, yeah. The doctor slipped off the back of the truck and stood carefully on the driest patch of earth he could find. Let's get you back into the TARDIS and we can check you over. Get a change of clothes, too. You've got enough of them. Mmm, she agreed. Nice warm bath. The doctor tapped her elbows so that she'd lift her arms, gripped her shoulders from under her armpits and tugged. Donna's boots slurped noisily but did not re-emerge. What must I look like? she moaned wretchedly. It's inside that matters, the doctor told her. Not what you look like. She tensed up. You're kidding me, right? This is me you're talking to? Yeah, admitted the doctor. I was thinking that when the words were coming out of my mouth. Never mind, grit your teeth and think about your extensive wardrobe. He gave an extra large heave. Donna's feet popped out of her boots, and she and the doctor staggered backwards. She squealed in disgust as her socks touched the muddy ground. There was another squealing sound from high above. Donna wondered what it was. The doctor already seemed to know, and dragged her protesting over the sodden ground and toward the truck. Take cover, he yelled. The bombardment has started. Incoming, bellowed Harrison from the middle distance. A dull crump sounded from beyond the truck, and a fountain of black earth spurted up into the air and scattered over them. There was a fizzing sound of energy. The remaining soldiers leapt out of the transport vehicle, fresh weapons in their hands. Harrison had appeared by Donna's side. He was looking to her for orders, she realised. She wasn't in uniform, she wasn't able to command him, and all because of a simple misunderstanding. Harrison's eyes glazed over. He toppled face forward and sprawled in the mud. Only then did Donna know what the fizzing sound was. Weapons were firing. Harrison had been shot dead in front of her. The dun-coloured shapes of more soldiers scurried past, taking positions. It took Donna a moment to work out what they were doing. They were aiming their rifles upward. She followed the direction of their weapons. She stared in disbelief. Donna could make out thin legs on fat, swollen bodies dropping from the invisible sky. The air was alive with gunfire as the creatures fell through the fog and clattered to the ground. Oh my God, she breathed. Doctor, they're dropping ponies on us. Not exactly, he said, pulling her behind the truck. 
Donna slithered in the mud and landed on her bum. She could feel the water soak right through. The doctor was still talking. Look again. Horses don't have parachutes. He was right. The pony's riders held energy weapons like crossbows. The nearest arrival was entangled in the silk canopy of its parachute, with only its legs visible. Two soldiers scurried across and gunned it down. Who in their right mind parachutes in on ponies? yelled Donna. The doctor was shaking his head. They're a Quabi. In fact, from the looks of them, they're a Quabi warriors. Devils on horseback, recalled Donna. The wind lifted the parachute silk from the fallen body. From her position by the transport truck, Donna got a clearer view of the dead creature. The rider was sprawled in front of his mount, his silver breastplate gleaming in the flat light. No, it wasn't a rider. That breastplate connected with the torso of the animal. Donna saw that it was all one creature. Half human, half horse. It was a centaur. The muddy battlefield was scattered with human casualties too, but the few remaining centaurs were fleeing now, literally galloping off into the fog and pursued by the crackle of gunfire. That was over a bit too quickly, observed the doctor. Not for me, Donna told him. What were they hoping to achieve? The doctor was distracted now by the transport vehicle. Hey, look at this! No wonder these things don't get stuck in the mud. They've got an anti-grav system. He smiled at Donna's baffled look. It's a hover truck. Look, it's rising up a bit more now. Lovely piece of engineering. Basic but elegant. Uh, wait a minute, it's moving! The vehicle swung sideways so that loose mud spurted from beneath it. Donna turned aside, but not before the front of her dress was drenched in dirty water. Stop! bellowed the doctor. He banged desperately on the raised tailgate, but to no avail. Within seconds, the transport had lurched around and accelerated off on an eccentric path into the fog. There goes my TARDIS! Donna slumped down in despair. There goes my wardrobe and my warm bath. The doctor's energy hadn't dissipated. He raced across the muddy field and seized the clumsily parked motorcycle. He made a few deft adjustments with his sonic screwdriver and the machine's engine roared into life. What are you doing? bellowed Donna. Gotta get it back! The doctor yelled at her. Stay here! He gunned the engine, wrenched the handlebars around and roared off into the fog. As if the doctor's abrupt departure wasn't bad enough, the bike's rear wheels squirted an arc of dirt into the air that landed on Donna. She spat out some further flecks of mud. Was it toxic? She wiped her face on the cleanest part of her sleeve. A brace of soldiers hastened past, dragging a stretcher. Need some help over here, the one at the rear called out. Donna heaved herself up and followed. After only a few metres, she heard someone sobbing. She veered off towards the sound, picking her way carefully in her stocking feet over the squashy terrain. A rake-thin figure, hardly more than a boy, huddled in a crumpled heap by a pair of thick metal stanchions. Donna recognised the boy from his cap. He was the dispatch rider who had collided with her earlier. He clung to another soldier and rocked back and forth his grief unabashed. Donna was no medic, but she could see at once that the other lad was dead. The woman soldier from earlier, Miriam, sat beside him in a daze, her head in her hands, unable to offer comfort. Mist rolled in waves over them. The boy had a gash across his forehead and blood was running over his closed left eye. Come on, Donna told him gently. You need a doctor. 
Actually, I sort of need a doctor too. He reluctantly laid his dead friend on the sodden ground and Donna helped him to his feet. She wanted to embrace him. He was just a kid. The dispatch rider stifled his tears and straightened his back. Looked like he was pulling himself together. Donna crouched down beside Miriam. You okay? Miriam stumbled to her feet. Donna wondered why the woman was looking so scared. Behind her, the dispatch rider groaned. Donna looked over her shoulder. Maybe it was a trick of the light. Or the way the mist continued to roll across the battlefield and around him and the metal stanchions. But the boy's outline was blurred. His cap tumbled off the back of his head and his hair stood up in spikes above his temple. When he shrugged, it was as though he had become broader and taller. There was a scraping sound beyond him and his cloak fluttered around his shoulders. Hang on, his cloak? Where did that come from? The mist was playing tricks on her, surely. It made him look like a giant, upright beetle. And how was that possible? She had no time to speculate further. With a grinding shriek of distant gears, one of the two metal stanchions rose smoothly up into the air, dripping battlefield muck and debris. Almost as swiftly, it came down again, slightly to one side. There was a sickening crunch as the boy was crushed beneath it. Donna started forward, horrified. The stanchion was really a huge metal foot attached to some unseen body in the fog many metres above. The twisted remnants of a huge insect leg splayed out from beneath its heel. And now that Donna looked more closely, weren't there a few other piles of mangled insectoid remains nearby? The metal foot rose again and almost as quickly started to descend. Donna froze in astonishment. It was going to crush her like a bug! Someone gripped her wrist and wrenched her aside. Donna was twisted aside and flung spread-eagled into the dirt. Miriam had grabbed her and thrown her out of the path of the giant foot, but as it slammed down, it struck Miriam's trailing leg. She screamed in agony and collapsed to the ground. Donna remembered how the doctor had lifted her out of the mud earlier, so she seized the bewildered Miriam and hauled her aside. Miriam did not object, but merely whimpered as Donna dragged her to safety. Behind them, the ground shook as the gargantuan metal legs stamped off into the distance and were soon swallowed by the fog. Donna half carried the badly wounded woman back to the main area. A small group of demoralised and disheartened soldiers awaited them. They all looked younger than Donna in their shabby, mud-spattered uniforms. They were a disconsolate team of kids who'd just lost a football kickabout rather than a combat-trained group who'd survived the fight of their lives by the slimmest of margins. A burly bloke with a buzz cut and no neck surveyed them, his arms akimbo. He watched Donna approach and offered her a tentative salute. Ah, Captain Kirk, ma'am. Donna stared blankly. Do what? Buzzcut bloke frowned. Sergeant Checker, ma'am. Do you have your ride in? Donna remembered her alias and tried to drop back into character. She hissed air through her teeth. Bit busy here, Sars, wounded soldier, and the Iron Man is out there in a the fog somewhere, crushing people like bugs. Uh, look lively. Sorry, ma'am. Protocol, you know. Field medic Harrison said you were ride with a supply group, but I need confirmation. Donna nodded at him. Lost in the fighting, she said. You'd better assume command, Chaco. 
It was a relief to be relieved of duty, she decided. No point looking to her for instructions. They might as well ask her to explain the offside rule in football. Nothing personal, ma'am. Chaco turned on his heel and began barking orders at the bedraggled remnants of his platoon. The youngster struggled up from the muddy ground, weary but unprotesting. Captain Kirk, said an adenoidal voice beside Donna. She didn't make the connection straight away. Mm, oh, yeah, she replied. Don't mind Chaco, said the newcomer. He was a thin man with an equally thin moustache. His helmet was stamped with the word press, and for a moment Donna thought that's what he was going to do to it as he raised his bony fingers. But he was just itchy. Donna saw that his bald head looked like a helmet too. I'm a journalist following this troop, C.J.R. Link. Donna shook his proffered hand. Nice to meet you, Mr. Link. The thin man whinnied like a little horse, though his eyes were more suspicious than amused. C.J.R. Link is my agency. I'm Jenkerton Nash. Pleased to meet you too, Miss... Donna, no, no, uh, know what? We should be moving on, babbled Donna. Yeah, that's what you should, uh, know. Nash laughed again. You're not a captain, and your name isn't Kirk, either. He looked like he was about to say more, but at that moment Sergeant Chackle marched smartly up to them. The only military vehicle not hijacked by the Aquabi was a blast-damaged troop carrier. Chackle ordered them to assist the wounded aboard. He also dispensed more inoculation tablets. Will we all fit in the one transport, Sergeant? asked Nash. Chaco stared at him. You're the journalist, Nash. You must have counted the number of survivors from this fiasco. Sorry, mumbled Nash. Okay, Captain Kirk and I will start embarking them at once. Donna studied Nash thoughtfully. Why wasn't he telling Chaco his suspicions about her? But Nash was already busying himself with the injured and would not catch her eye. She put her hands in her cardigan pockets and found the blister pack of inoculation pills that Harrison had given her. Humans just like me, she pondered. That's what you said, Doctor. She popped the first capsule from the strip and swallowed it. Now that she'd taken care of herself, Donna began to assist the survivors. The doctor struggled with the motorbike's handbars. After only a few hundred metres, the ground rose steeply and the muddy terrain abruptly changed to a rocky scree. His whole body quivered as the bike's fat wheels bumped and shuddered over the lumpy surface. The fog made it impossible to see the truck and the coughing roar of his motorbike's engine made it hard to listen for the roar of the truck's engine or the clatter of its frame as it careered off into the distance. He relied on sensing where the TARDIS was. The powerful emotional and mental bond between the Time Lord and his vessel was what kept him on course. The fog thinned as the road rose up. Soon the doctor was able to make out the route he was following, a twisting mountain path. One sharp edge bordered an alarming drop into a valley with a dribble of river far, far below. If he'd known about that before the fog had dissipated, maybe he wouldn't have driven at such breakneck speed. He swerved the bike round a blind bend. The truck loomed large in his vision. It had stopped dead because of a fallen tree. The doctor wrestled for control. The bike flattened into a long skid until it whacked into the rear of the truck with a bone-jarring clang. He scrambled to his feet and leapt for the rear of the truck. To his annoyance, he found that the bike collision had mangled the tailgate latch. 
Even his sonic screwdriver couldn't unjam that one. He'd have to get in through the front cabin, so he hastened around the side of the vehicle. The truck hadn't just stopped. It had crunched right into the fallen tree. Two dazed and disoriented Aquabi warriors were crammed into the front cabin. One had folded its four legs beneath it and used its hands to steer. The other was upside down, its legs incongruously flailing in the air as it had worked the foot controls with its outstretched arms. The doctor squeezed past them into the cab and into the rear of the truck. There was the TARDIS. He'd be in and out in a flash. Except that another Aquabi hid in the back. A broad-shouldered female with a piebald coat and huge muscular arms. Her metal breastplate glittered in the half-light and her hooves skittered on the corrugated metal floor. Her crossbow weapon had fallen next to the doctor, so he swept it up and threw it out of reach behind the TARDIS. The Aquabi scrabbled among the boxes of human weapons and produced a revolver in her left hand. The doctor could see a dangerous mixture of panic and anger in her wild green eyes. She pointed the weapon at his head. The instinct was to tense up, but the doctor made his body relax. He kept his voice soft and said two words calmly and distinctly. Isomorphic response. Confusion flickered across the Aquabi woman's face. After a brief pause, she asked, What? There's an isomorphism between my TARDIS here and me. We're so similar in many ways. Can't live with her. Can't live without her. You could say her properties are mapped to mine and mine to hers. Designated driver. That's me. And that gun you're holding? The doctor indicated the weapon just by a movement of his eyes. Well, that's isomorphic too. Hasn't been primed for a specific user yet. So it's useless to you. And harmless to me. And it must be so heavy. Can't you feel that? Why not just drop it? Hey. The doctor knew that his would-be attacker had expected a fight-or-flight response, yet he stayed calm, unthreatening, confident. He stated things that baffled her and that now needed an explanation. A huge adrenaline rush had energised the Aquabi during that first threat, but had suddenly dissipated like the air out of an untied balloon, leaving her bewildered and suggestible. The gun dropped from her nerveless fingers and clattered to the metal floor. Did you notice, continued the doctor, whether it was your rear hooves or your front hooves that stuck to the floor first? I'm sure you'll be very grateful after struggling so very hard for the next few minutes that your hooves do eventually come unstuck. He could see from the panic in her eyes and the trembling around her fetlocks that the Aquabi warrior was already convinced that she could not move her legs. The doctor gave a big grin and approached the TARDIS door. He fetched the key out of his trouser pocket. Must be going, he said cheerfully. So it was a complete surprise to him when the Aquabi warrior lashed out with her right fist, punching him squarely on the chin. The doctor collapsed to the floor in a daze. I don't think so, human, said the warrior. She rubbed her grazed knuckles. Just as well you forgot to disable my arms. Now unglue my hooves or I'll kneel down and crush you to death.
It took nearly an hour to board the injured before they could head off for the Van Nuys Mobile Army Hospital. Back home, the sight of blood had made Donna feel faint. She'd once witnessed a road accident, some schoolboy who had overshot a curb on his bike and been clipped by a passing car. She had frozen on the spot, barely able to speak while other passers-by checked the boy's injuries, kept him calm and called for an ambulance. Yet now, she reassured each of the injured soldiers, eased them onto stretchers or helped them hobble up into the transport. She could calmly assess their injuries and apply makeshift bandages to some of them. She'd changed since her very first time in the TARDIS, Donna knew. She'd witnessed death at first hand. Had she grown more confident, she wondered, or just been desensitised? Had her time with the doctor helped her or hardened her? Donna had changed her filthy clothes and put on one of the new uniforms she'd found in the crates. The material was surprisingly warm and even the heavy boots were comfortable. She thought about taking a gun to complete the look, but concluded it was a device for killing people and not part of a fancy dress costume. Instruments of death, the doctor had called them earlier. But where was the doctor now? Next to her, Private Merriam was taking frequent, shallow, agonised breaths. Donna squeezed her hand for reassurance. The landscape slipped by as the platoon transport meandered across the blasted landscape. The fog had lifted. Through slits in the canvas, Donna saw derelict villages dotted with broken, burned stables and odd, abandoned vehicles. Well, with four hooves and two arms, the centaurs must need a very different kind of runabout for the supermarket run. With a jolt, she suddenly knew she was looking at what this war had done to the Aquabi. The journalist Nash wiped his high forehead with the back of one hand and left a muddy smear where his hairline should have been. He caught Donna studying him. Nice uniform, he told her. Do you think Sergeant Chaco thinks I suit this uniform? She asked Nash softly, not wanting to be overheard. If you were a captain, replied Nash quietly, you'd understand why Chaco would want you to be the one telling General Brudge about this disaster. And your name's not Kirk, from the way you reacted. Donna blew out a big sigh. Not got the hang of this, have I? You're right, my name is Donna Noble and I'm not a captain. I never even got made a prefect. Before she knew it, she was telling him about how she and the Doctor had crash-landed on this planet in their shuttlecraft and how he'd had to leave her behind after the Aquabi attack. It felt like a confession. Nash listened patiently, encouragingly. Despite his odd laugh and his intense eyes, Donna was warming to him. Soon, Nash was telling her how he'd got to recension because he was researching a profile on General Brudge. The Pioneer Corps was the military elite, establishing strategic outposts ahead of the main military push, and General Brudge was a much-decorated officer in that corps, entrusted with subduing the native population on recension. The more he'd struggled to establish a bridgehead for the Earth forces, the more Brudge hated this posting away from the main military action. Planetary guard duty, that's how he described it, Nash said and gave his funny little laugh. And he swiftly stopped being flattered by my interest in him and began to resent it. I think he hates me even more than Lenova. She's the head surgeon at Van Nuys Hospital, where we're headed. Must be hard, Donna told him, being so far away from family and friends. 
Nash's easy conversation dried up abruptly. Suddenly, all Donna could hear was the rattle of the vehicle and the groans of the injured. Raj and his soldiers, I mean. They're a long way from home. Nash forced another laugh. Oh, yes, yes, I see. Donna watched his expression closely. You thought I was talking about you. Nash did not respond to this. Now you're hiding something, she told him. If you were doing a profile on this general brudge, why are you out here on the battlefield instead of back there watching him? She chewed her lip for a while, unsure whether to continue. Do you know anything about Metal Mickey then, that dirty great robot, and those insect things? I wasn't imagining that, was I? Donna explained what she'd seen on the fringes of the battlefield where she'd located the dispatch rider and Private Merriam. Her eyes raked Nash for any reaction. But all his earlier cheerfulness had evaporated, and he remained sullenly silent. She turned her attention back to Merriam. The soldier was moaning, delirious, struggling weakly on her stretcher. Despite the makeshift bandages, she was still bleeding copiously. Her leg looked like it was almost severed. Donna began to wonder for the first time whether Merriam would survive the journey to Van Nuys Hospital. General Brudge studied the plastic facade of the door in front of him. Why did he hesitate like this every time he went into Sergeant Lenova's office? Brudge was the commanding officer of the planetary forces, wasn't he? He knew the respect he engendered in his own troops, and as general he didn't have to care whether that was from admiration or the simple deference of rank. In fact, he knew it was most likely fear. With the campaign suffering the way it was, Brudge had already decided the troops had to be more terrified of him than those aquabi devils they were fighting. He needed something only Lenova could give him. And to start with, Lenova had needed Brudge too. Lately, that codependency was more heavily weighted in Lenova's favour. That's why Brudge hovered outside the surgeon's door, a wayward schoolboy kicking his heels and worrying about what the headmistress would say. A smartly dressed orderly stepped up and gave Brudge a crisp salute. I have this for Sergeant Lenova, sir. Brudge stared down into the man's eyes and was pleased to see the fear still there. He surveyed the tray on the orderly's arm. It contained a tumbler and a carafe of fresh water, a luxury in these difficult times. He'd not seen Lenova eat anything for weeks. She never joined the others in the canteen, no longer took her pensive walks around the enclosed area of the mobile hospital. Some medical reason, no doubt. Brudge took the tray from the orderly and dismissed the man with a peremptory jerk of his head. Then he seized the handle and, without knocking, threw open the door. He had to stoop to avoid banging his head on the frame. The familiar, sickly, sweet smell of the room assailed Brudge's nostrils. He peered through the half-light of the office to where Lenova looked up from the far side of a large table. Unlike the fighting soldiers on poor rations, she had a chubby face with dark, piggy eyes. She must be eating something because she'd put on more weight. The only thinness was in her grim, grey lips. Her voice was as cloying as the atmosphere. I shall not tolerate one more interruption to my work. I won't 
but responsible for the consequences. You ordered these. Brudge placed the carafe and the glass on the near side of the desk, deliberately too far for Lenova to reach them without struggling. Are you not eating? She shook her jowly face. I may feel peckish later, but I don't want you to bring me food, General. I want you to bring me news. Brudge shuffled his feet. There's been another unavoidable delay. I thought you said the Aquabi were on their last legs, she greeted at him. They are centaurs. Are you sure you counted those legs properly? Your wonderful new troopers were supposed to make the difference, Lenova. You promised that. And yet I feel the campaign is slipping away. Lenova heaved her fat arms onto the table. These troopers are unique. Brudge's temper flared, and that's the only reason I allowed you to try your medical procedures on the injured and dying, purebreds and halflings alike. With remarkable results, said Lenova, silkily, yet they have to travel further and further into enemy territory. Why won't you move this mobile hospital nearer to the front? If we get boots on the ground faster, we can wipe out that Aquabi infestation. We cannot move my delicate surgical equipment, the very devices that create these stronger, more agile troopers for you. Not all candidates are suitable. I need more subjects, Brudge. Brudge bristled with anger. I cannot call on more troops until the next reinforcement flights, and those are delayed by another three months. <laughs> snorted Lanova. Perhaps you shouldn't have given your superiors such glowing reports of your initial successes, General. It's only because you told them you had as good as crushed the Aquabi that they thought they could redeploy the in-orbit support satellites. Brudge resented Lanova's frequent taunting about this. Removing the satellites conserved rare resources for the off-planet campaign but made long-distance communication on recension nearly impossible. He tried to regain his composure. I will bring you more patience. The survivors of a platoon have just arrived. Our intel was wrong, and they were ambushed by guerrillas during a supply drop. We thought we'd eliminated the Aquabi air capability when we raised their city weeks ago. Lenova looked amused. Shock and awe, she said. So, how many survivors? Not as many as you requested. The platoon sustained heavy casualties. Some of them barely survived. You'll be surprised at the miracles I can work, said Lenova. But I still need more bodies. Bodies? Brudge stared at her. Don't you mean patients, Surgeon Lenova? She closed her eyes and inhaled deeply. Perhaps she was unaffected by the fetid smell of the darkened office. She gave a little grunt and wriggled in her chair behind the table. Get them into the operating theatre, General, and my team can patch them up. This treatment makes them stronger than before, and those it doesn't work for, we just ship back home to an earth hospital. One way or another, they're better off if you bring them back alive instead of abandoning them on the field of battle. More bodies, General! She grunted again and opened her deep-set eyes, more patience, I mean. Brudge stepped towards the door. It's not like I can breathe them, you know. He wondered why Lenovo was giggling as he left the hot stink of her office.
Madonna sat and seethed for half an hour, maybe longer. The truck had finally pulled into the Van Nuys Mobile Hospital as the afternoon sun rose. Donna and the other able-bodied passengers had assisted the walking wounded from the vehicle and then quickly but carefully disembarked the most critically injured survivors. The triage area was in one of the large, firmly pegged tents that surrounded a central metal-framed set of offices. She helped Sergeant Chaco carry Merriam's stretcher through the flapping canvas entrance and was then told she had to leave and make space for others. I don't want to leave her, Donna yelled at the medics when they bustled her out. She needed to stay with the young woman, even if all she could do was hold her hand during her final moments. When she tried to insist that she was a captain in the army and they'd better do what she ordered, Chaco reminded her that her ID still wasn't verified. And besides, he told her, those doctors outrank you. So she had to sit outside in the warm afternoon sun and wait and seethe. She propped herself at the foot of a three-pointed mast, a skeletal structure of metal and wire that towered over the hospital. Comms tower, Nash told her. It's useless since the satellites were repurposed. He seemed to take everything in his stride. He'd sat there with Donna as though he was waiting for something or someone. He laid a reassuring hand on her arm. Stay with me, he said. I know how this mobile hospital operates. I want to see that Miriam's all right, Donna whispered. Nash smiled. I have a way to get in. A flurry of salutes told Donna that a more senior officer had arrived. Nash identified the newcomer as Lieutenant Jovich, the second in command. Jovich was a tall man, maybe a full two metres. His blotchy shaved scalp and dark, tired eyes made his head look like a badly peeled potato. He spoke quietly with several soldiers, including Sergeant Chaco, who all appeared respectful but calm, despite their recent trauma. When a second officer stalked out of a nearby office, Donna noticed Chaco and his soldiers stiffened. They weren't just standing to attention. Their khaki frames were nearly rigid with trepidation, maybe even anger. Even Chaco's buzz cut seemed to bristle. It's General Brudge. Nash leaped to his feet, snorting his little laugh in anticipation. It was as though no one could take their eyes off Brudge. It wasn't just his imperious manner that dominated. The general was taller and broader than his second-in-command. His broad, thin ears stood out and made his head seem too small for his body. Two strong sinews flexed in the nape of his neck where his wire-wool hair had been shorn close to the leathery brown skin. Brudge seemed to ignore everyone except Jovich. He gazed unblinkingly at the lieutenant as he spoke. Surgeon Lenova's team should be completing the treatment shortly, Jovich. This miracle drug of hers seems to be doing the trick. Are they prepared for the renewed assault? Jovich coughed apologetically. Not all of them will be ready, sir. What? Donna could hear Brudge was incredulous. We need them, Jovich, for the main assault on the Aquabi HQ. I want all our boots on the ground this afternoon. I want to wipe those devils off the face of recension like the animals they are. These revitalized troopers don't suffer the same kind of injuries as regular troops. They burn out faster, though, Jovich murmured. It was clear that he didn't want to be overheard by the other soldiers, though Donna was close enough to catch his worried tone. They fight harder, reposted Brudge, brutally. That's all that matters. 
Jovic bravely held his ground. Some of the troops have had adverse reactions to the latest medication, sir. Halflings, no doubt, sneered Brudge dismissively. If Earth Central recruited pure-blood humans in the first place, as I requested, there would have been no problems. I can do without crossbreeds and inbreeds from the outer solar system. The soldiers nearby fidgeted in agitation, but Brudge ploughed on. Halflings, he spat. They'll be the ones that Lanova has been shipping home as treatment failures in recent weeks. Trash we can do without, Jovich. Halfling trash. There was a muttering in the ranks. It was as though Brudge was only now aware of the other soldiers. He stared them into silence, his gaze hosing over them like icy water. Nash took his opportunity to step forward. This would be an ideal time for me to interview Surgeon Lenovo, General. You did say that I... Not now, pressman, snapped Brudge. But, General, you promised earlier that out of my way. Brudge practically shouldered the journalist aside. He strutted around the crowd of soldiers who still stood to painful attention in the hot sun. Get them ready, Jovich. They'll have to do. Donna couldn't hold her tongue any longer while this racist twerp snubbed his brave young troops. Where are you, mate? When this lot were fighting your battle, where are you, eh? Brudge halted before her. So, you must be the mysterious new officer I've only just heard about. He gave a sideways glance at Sergeant Chaco, who nodded almost imperceptibly. The insolent Captain Kirk? What if I am? Earthstock, I hope. The general placed his hands in the small of his back and studied Donna like a curiosity. Are you a natural-born human? Nah, joked Donna. Caesarean. Brudge stared down his nose at her. Yeah, I'm as human as they come, Donna admitted. More human than you, I bet. This is war, said Brudge. I saw the way your men slaughtered those centaurs, hissed Donna. Is that war? It's pest control replied Brudge. He walked around Donna. There's no confirmation of your status. We can hardly wait for the interplanetary link to be restored, so perhaps we should conduct a credibility assessment. Do what? Nash bustled up, snorting his silly laugh. No need for a lie detector, General. I can personally confirm that she's an imposter. Real name is Donna Noble. Crashed on this planet with an accomplice, some kind of medic who fled the scene. You slimy ratbag, shouted Donna. I trusted you. Well, a journalist, I should have known. After all you said about... She trailed off into a long, embarrassed silence in which she could hear her fragile alias smash into lots of tiny pieces. Fair enough, she said. No need to apply them electrodes. Brudge was smirking at her. And yet you wear that uniform. Oh, is it a uniform? I just thought this was a popular colour for shirts this season. Brudge's smile did not falter. If you are not entitled to wear it, then you should be executed as an imposter. Donna blanched. Things were getting out of hand. Her mind raced. What should she do? What would the doctor do? And where was he now? Nash preened in front of the general. Donna wanted to strangle him with her bare hands. It might not improve her odds of survival, but at least she could take the double-crossing little runt with her. General Brudge's contempt for Nash hadn't abated. What is it, pressman? 
Return the favour, persisted Nash. You promised me a proper look at the medical facilities and an interview with Surgeon Lenova. Very well, said Brudge, with a sly smile. I'm sure that Lenova can tolerate one more interruption to her work. He gestured to a junior officer who led the journalist away to the main hospital building. Now, as for you, Donna Noble. She braced herself for the worst. But Sergeant Chaco stepped forward. Without so much as a permission to speak, sir, he explained how Donna had shown courage and stamina in the aftermath of the Aquabi ambush. Donna's astonishment was matched only by her relief. Even more surprisingly, General Brudge's mood seemed to change. Good man, he told Chaco. Fine example of a native earth soldier. The best. He addressed Donna now. You're lucky to have such handsome testimony. I believe you can earn that uniform. You'll be spared the firing squad and dispatched with the platoon. Departure in fifteen minutes. Oh, great, thought Donna. Execution by humans or death at the hands of warrior ponies? Or was it hooves? She had nothing to lose, so she decided to ask anyway. Can I see Private Merriam before we leave? I owe her that. Chaco pointed to a canvas building. Leave her? She's coming with us. Donna stared in amazement. Miriam stood in the doorway, wearing a fresh uniform. She was pale but clearly pain-free. When she walked to join them, there was not even the trace of a limp. Miriam took Donna's hand and squeezed it firmly. Surgeon Lenova's team made me as good as new, she grinned. After all your help, you didn't think I'd let you return to the front on your own, did you? The buzzing in the doctor's head didn't go away when he woke up. He worked out after a while that it was the sound of flies fizzing and bumping around the cell. A huddled bunch of grubby humans watched him suspiciously from across the dank, cold room. Got any food? asked a teenage boy in a tattered uniform. The doctor rubbed his bruised chin. Is it tea time? How long have I been out? Might be breakfast. Breakfast of champions, eh? Mind you, centaurs, don't know. Red Rum was a champion. He got hay for breakfast. Old Danigi was a champion. We need food, persisted the teenager. How about Devon Locke? Continued the doctor. Champion the Wonder Horse, obviously. Shergar. I must get around to working out what happened to Shergar. The teenager rose angrily, his fists bunched. Leave him, McHenry, growled a sharp-faced woman on the concrete bench beside him. I've already checked. She sucked her fingers. The doctor struggled upright, patted his pockets, looked at the scattered contents on the floor beside him. Oh dear, I suppose you found that mousetrap then. The woman soldier stood up and pushed her angry face at the doctor. Her furious glare was almost enough to slice him in two. The doctor studied the name band stitched to her tunic. Corporal Pine, very pleased to meet you. Well, I say very, that's putting it a bit strongly. Let's just say pleased to meet you. Well, I say pleased, whereas under the circumstances, I suppose, uh, <clears throat> he gave an uncertain cough, aware that Corporal Pine was pulling back her arm to punch him. The confrontation was fortuitously cut short by the rattle of the cell door. The human prisoner scattered to the far side of the cell. It's Cablenza, hissed the teenager. Who's Cablenza? asked the doctor. Pine laughed mirthlessly. Sergeant Cablenza is the worst. 
the cell door opened to admit the Aquabi woman who had captured the doctor. She carried a crossbow weapon and seized him roughly with her free hand. Make it easy on yourself, she warned him. I can deliver you to Commander Padova, alive or dead. Two Iquabi soldiers accompanied Sergeant Cablenza. The cell was one of at least half a dozen located deep in the basement of an old building. The Iquabi hustled the doctor up ramped passageways. They hurried along wide, curved corridors beside an impressive open courtyard. This must once have been a palatial building. Broken remnants of exquisite furniture, torn tapestries and fragments of plaster and brickwork on the floor coverings bore witness to the bombardment of a prolonged conflict. In places, the shell of the building had been breached. Holes in these outer walls revealed the shattered remnants of the surrounding area. It was the rubble-strewn landscape of a once-proud city. Handsome boulevards were holed by sporadic bomb craters and lined with the stark outlines of dead trees. Dilapidated palazzos crumbled either side of a choked river of scuttled ships. Look on it and marvel at what your people have done, human, grunted Cablenza. Yet we will never surrender. Yeah, yeah, grumbled the doctor. Trot out all the old clichés. Ah, when I say trot out, he saw Cablenza looked murderous, so he added hastily, I'm not your enemy. Yes, I know. Cablenza whinnied derisively and shoved the doctor savagely. You humans are all merely obeying orders. The further they went, the less pronounced the damage to the building. They were clearly approaching the most active, probably best protected part of the facility. Around one corner, the doctor spotted a door ajar that led into a room of humming equipment. He faked a stumble, escaped his guards and slipped through. The darkened room was lined with scanners and monitors. Each workstation was attended by an Aquabi in headphones who did not register his arrival. Unlike their soldier counterparts, each wore cotton jackets in pastel colours. Within seconds, Cablenza hurried into the room and dragged the doctor away. His Aquabi guards were so much taller than the doctor that he was half carried, half dragged to their destination. This turned out to be a long, mirrored drawing room, laid out with military maps and communications equipment. Cablenza threw him to the floor. Get up, ordered his captor. Make your mind up, grumbled the doctor. At the far end of the room, a distinguished-looking figure was surrounded by attentive military staff. This Iquabi had a glossy Palomino body, and the uniform of his upper torso was decorated with campaign medals. He was taller than the other pony-sized centaurs, literally head and shoulders above them. Sergeant Cablenza nudged the doctor forward with her flank. Commander Padova, sir. The commander was irritated by the interruption. He stepped away from his circle of advisers. What is it now? The doctor was delighted to see the crowd had gathered round the TARDIS. Oh, you found her! Thanks for looking after her. He thrust his hands into his trouser pockets and felt a hot flush of alarm when he couldn't find the TARDIS key. Had the prisoners pickpocketed it? Perhaps you're looking for this, said Padova. He reached a hand back to the saddlebag that hung over his glossy golden coat and plucked out the TARDIS key. Perhaps you can explain why it won't open the door to your device. Well, it's all in the wrist action, grinned the doctor. Here, I'll show you. He moved forward to take the key. I must be off. I have a book on the go. New theories and anti-gravity. It was really hard to put down. 
Padova raised the key out of reach. I don't think so, human. Now, that's where you're wrong, see? Oh! The doctor wrinkled his brow at Sergeant Cablenza, who had shoved him again with her flank. Whoa there! Are you trying to be funny? scowled Cablenza. Commander Padova leaned forward so that he loomed over the doctor. You babble about anti-gravity, human. You are a technologist? My scientists cannot determine what weapon this blue box contains. Ah, well, grinned the doctor. Couple of mistakes there. Not human, not a weapon. More of a vehicle. The box, I mean. I'm not a vehicle. I mean, I'd have a job lifting you. The other way round, though, I could see that. We are people, said Padova, coldly. Not beasts of burden. You humans. Nah, sorry, wrong again, insisted the doctor. He jerked his thumb at his own chest. Not a human, he pointed at the TARDIS. Not a weapon. A travel device, then, mused Padova. Yes, continued the doctor, patiently. I can see why you'd be interested. Your city's been devastated. Your equipment back there is out of the Stone Age. We will fight to our last man, snapped Padova. He was clearly displeased to have the Aquabi shortcomings drawn so brutally to his attention by a mere prisoner. This is our world. We will not surrender it lightly, even though you raised our city. I noticed you were a bit stretched. Is that why you've been attacking the human supply chain? For your own purposes? We will use your own devices of death against you. Devices of death, agreed the doctor. I was saying that earlier too. Um, this isn't helping me really, is it? So this transport device of yours, persisted Padova, explain it, human. The doctor looked despairingly at the high ceiling. Not a human... Oh, what's the point? Anyway, look at that tiny blue box. It'd be a tight squeeze for you lot, wouldn't it? And the key's no use to you. Isomorphic response. I was telling Sergeant Cablenza about that earlier, wasn't I? Got a slap in the chops for it. There's gratitude for you. What will you do? Beat it out of me? That is not our way retorted Padova. Human prisoners are treated with respect. Not what it looks like from those disgusting cells downstairs. Padova straightened up again. We treat them as well as our resources will allow. In battle we fight to the death, but unlike you humans, we don't slaughter captured prisoners in cold blood. He seemed to lose interest in the doctor and pocketed the TARDIS key again. Take him back to the cells and put this supposed transport device with the garbage. The Aquabi guards seized the doctor's arms again. He struggled in their fierce grip. Hang on, hang on! I'm really not a part of this conflict of yours. I just want to find my friend Donna and get away from here. The Aquabi commander and his staff were already deep in conversation about something else. Four muscular Aquabi towed the TARDIS across the room. Cablenza and the guards hauled the doctor all the way back down to the cells as he remonstrated with them. His former cellmates studied him with suspicion as he was thrown back in with them. Pine and McHenry glared accusingly. Others cowered, even whimpered in the corner. The doctor listened at the cell door for the guard's hoofbeats to fade away. He detected a powerful, sickly sweet smell from the adjoining cell and could now hear a growing moan. Maybe the Aquabi were doing the best they could for their captives, but that spoke volumes about the fragile nature of their military strength rather than their humane treatment of captives, or whatever was the Aquabi alternative for the word humane. The guards were out of earshot. The doctor began to attack the door lock with his sonic screwdriver. Hey! shouted Corporal Pine. Why did they give you that? Shh! It's mine! 
the doctor replied. Now, I'm not sure it's any use on this old-fashioned deadbolt. The vibrations aren't rotating the lock cylinder. You didn't have that in your pockets earlier, protested Payne. I hid it in the lining of my jacket, explained the doctor. Hmm, wonder if I can use the magnetic setting on these bolts. There was a clattering sound from the next cell, and two male voices started to yell in terror. The effect on the doctor's cell was electric. Panic began to spread among the occupants. Pain leapt for the door, shoving the doctor aside. What have you done? The screams from next door cut off abruptly. Pain seized the doctor by his tie and began to throttle him. You've been out there. What's going on? Before the doctor could answer, Pain convulsed violently. She staggered, coughing to rejoin the other soldiers. Abruptly, she stood fully upright again, then threw her shoulders back and her arms out. The teenager, McHenry, stared wildly at her. What's happening? He shrieked at the doctor. The doctor looked on in alarm. I've seen this before. Before his eyes, Pine's features blurred and changed at an astonishing rate until there was no longer a woman standing before him. She had transformed into an enormous six-legged insect creature whose wings flickered behind it like a cloak. Its mandibles clicked menacingly. Get back! The doctor snapped at the soldiers. It's a Serfian! But the other soldiers had stiffened too. Their outlines distorted and dissolved until every torso had transformed into the thorax, abdomen and twitching legs of an insect. A couple of humans remained unchanged. They cowered, terrified in the corner of the cell as the Serfian creatures stood over them, glaring through their terrifying compound eyes. The guards heard the screams and commotion. Sergeant Cablenza stared in through the barred window of the cell. Her sharp-tongued order stopped abruptly as she saw what was happening in the packed room. Open this door! The doctor yelled at her. What have you done? hissed Cablenza. The rest of her furious question was lost in a huge explosion. The far wall buckled inwards with the force of a blast from an adjacent cell. A shaft of blinding daylight pierced the ceiling as bricks and plaster and mortar rained down on guards and prisoners alike. The cell door bulged, cracked and finally fell off its hinges with a crack of splintering wood and metal. Two of the Serfians were caught in a blast of bright sunlight and vanished into thin air. Cablenza brandished her handgun at the doctor. Your friends will not rescue you alive, human. This wasn't just daylight shooting in from above, the doctor realised at last. That's a focused plasma cutter, he bellowed at Cablenza. This isn't a rescue attempt, it's a massacre. Get these people out of here. He pushed past her out into the corridor. How many cells are there here? More blasts of light lanced down into the cell and the walls of the building began to twist and collapse. Cablenza leapt into an adjacent cell to avoid the tumbling masonry. The doctor looked in and saw that not a single human soldier remained. The cell contained more than a dozen chirruping Serfians. They've all transformed, yelled the doctor. Cablenza struggled to turn her equine body in the small space. As she twisted, the Serfians moved aside to reveal a nightmare creature. That's a young Serfian queen, warned the doctor. Get out of there, Cablenza! The creature had the same insect features, but also a squat, slug-like body, which was crammed into the corner of the cell. It reached out one long foreleg and grabbed Cablenza's hindquarters. 
the Aquabi's hooves skittered on the bare stone of the floor. Kablenza bellowed in rage as the Surfian queen twisted its head and attacked her flank. Kablenza reached back and fired her gun point-blank. The weapon boomed, but the Surfian only twitched. Just as the doctor thought Kablenza was lost, a chunk of ceiling collapsed and more blinding lines of light perforated the gloom. The Surfian queen was caught squarely by a piercing shaft, shrieked once and dissolved. Kablenza fled the room, her flank bloodied. She chased up the ramp away from the cells with her fellow guards and the doctor. They stumbled out into an oval courtyard at the centre of the building. Half a dozen Aquabi and the doctor. None of the human prisoners had emerged alive. The entire side of the courtyard building that housed the basement cells collapsed into a ruined heap of rubble. Beyond the choking cloud of brick dust, they could finally make out what had caused the destruction. A monstrous silver shape lowered over the devastated building. It was a humanoid robot, easily 25 metres high. The afternoon sun glittered on its metal armour. Its blunt head rotated a full circle, bristling with antennae as it considered the demolition work. The Aquabi soldiers blasted their crossbow weapons at it. The shots barely reached the robot's midriff and bounced off harmlessly. Don't waste your ammunition, the doctor called to them. He glanced around for exit routes and saw a gaggle of senior Aquabi had emerged from the other side of the courtyard. The commander and his executive staff had been evacuated from the compromised building. Human treachery, snarled Commander Padova. Our defences are breached. Prepare to evacuate. We must strike back at the humans immediately. He broke into a gallop across the grassy centre of the courtyard, flanked by his chiefs of staff. Their angry hooves churned up divots as they charged. Hold your horses, cried the doctor. He gestured at the huge robot. That's not mine. It's true, Kablenza admitted. Padova and his men slewed to a halt on the grass, panting. How did it get through our detectors and defences? You must have sabotaged them. Well, it's certainly got some kind of sophisticated cloaking system, admitted the doctor. Let's face it, you'd need one if you were that size. Certainly smarter than that sorry bargain basement junk you've got. And also much too sophisticated for the humans. A flurry of noise from the rubble drew their attention. A few Surfians struggled through a hole in the wrecked building. One began to scurry across the grass, while three others beat their new wings and began an uncertain flight from the courtyard. The robot reached out one massive metal hand. It pinched the flying insects from the air like gnats and flung their broken remains to the ground. Its baleful metal gaze located a remaining Surfian and stepped forward. Its legs were like huge metal tree trunks. They cleared the debris of the building with ease. The Surfian scrambled to a halt beside the Doctor and Commander Padova. One gigantic metal foot the size of a tank rose up as it prepared to crush the life from the survivors in the courtyard. The officers scattered, whickering in panic, but there was no way out. Sergeant Kablenza gasped and closed her eyes. Beside the Doctor, Padova flinched. The huge foot stamped downwards towards them.
Doctor Who, Pest Control. Part two. It wants the Sapien, yelled the Doctor. He gripped Commander Padova by his white mane, hauled himself across the Commander's broad back and slapped him smartly on the rump. Giddy up, he yelled. Padova startled and then leapt away. His officers bolted after him. The Serpian was left alone. At once, the other Aquabi targeted their weapons and cut the insect down in a hail of small arms fire. The centaurs were now safely to one side, so the doctor vaulted back to the ground with a shouted apology to Padova and ran straight into the footprints of the giant robot. He flung out an arm, aimed his sonic screwdriver upwards and triggered it. A shrill whistle set everyone's teeth on edge. The robot's foot stalled in mid-air, hovered for a while and then rose up once more. The metal behemoth staggered and knocked an enormous chunk of brickwork off the nearby building. Finally, it staggered away into the city with huge, thunderous footsteps. Commander Padova was corralling his remaining troops. Sergeant Cablenza began to supervise the evacuation of the Aquabi's destroyed command centre. In the melee, the doctor sprinted onto the rubble of the building, hopping between chunks of fallen masonry. He needed to get higher to track the robot's progress, maybe even catch it. At last, he had a chance to experiment with those moves Sebastian Foucan had taught him back in the 80s. With a series of gap jumps, he was able to get high enough for a climb up to the roof line and then a cat balance along a ridge. He was now on a level with the robot's head. Despite its obvious stride advantage, the metal monster was stumbling along, still disoriented by the sonic screwdriver. The doctor took a deep breath and made a precision jump to the next building from which he was able to tic-tac off a couple of adjacent walls and slide back to street level. The robot seemed to be regaining full control. The doctor gave it another close-quarters blast at the sonic screwdriver, but this time the effect was negligible. Must be adjusting to the frequency, he groaned, and ran at full pelt down the road. Nevertheless, the creature was still disoriented enough that it misjudged the width of the river. Its huge foot crashed through the edge of the embankment and it tumbled awkwardly, landing smack in the centre of a power substation on the far bank. A brilliant cascade of sparks showered around it and it writhed for a moment before falling still. Lights along the riverbank went out like a Christmas tree that had been unplugged. The substation was almost completely silent when the doctor finally crossed the river. A very faint hum came from the robot, which lay sprawled in the middle of a smashed array of cables, plinth mountings and circuit breakers. A panel the size of a cricket square had dropped open at the rear of the automaton. The doctor marvelled at the extraordinary craftsmanship of its innards. Oh, a hypergolic drive system, fantastic! You know, you are just amazing! He delved carefully inside for a few minutes. I don't like the look of that. Looks a bit like a self-destruct mechanism. Not activated, that's better. Now, let's see if I can tap into the command circuitry. The voice of the robot boomed out across the deserted city landscape and made the doctor leap in surprise. It was like hearing an impossibly loud tube station announcement. 
Sharback Integrated Pest Management Droid Auto Repair in Progress. Please do not reboot. Alrighty then, agreed the Doctor. Sharback, eh? Why don't you give me some of the background here and I'll see what I can do to help. He waggled the sonic screwdriver encouragingly in the direction of the robot's head. Within the workings of the Sharback, the Doctor found a graphic display on which he was able to track its recent movements. Oh, now I see, he grinned. You're from the same part of the galaxy as the Surfians, I should have guessed. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute! Sharback, Sharback, Sharback! He screwed up his eyes as he racked his brains for a memory that was just out of reach. Yes! Sharback Corporation! Major conglomerate in the Pettingard system! What happened there, then? To his amusement, the Sharback boomed its reply. Integrated pest management approach was incomplete. Pestilential infestation by the Serfian arthropods resulted in inexorable viral hemorrhagic plague across the Pettingard system. That explains a lot, breathed the Doctor. The giants of Pettingard. That catastrophe's always been a mystery. Not surprising no one wants to do an archaeological dig on that planet. Not if everyone there got wiped out by a flesh-eating disease. Not a disease, boomed the robot. The, the bodies of the population, population were usurped by the Serfian infestation. This Sharback is the last surviving sanitation unit designed to implement a five-stage integrated pest management process. One, inspection. Two, identification. Three, establishment of threshold levels. Four, extermination. Yes, 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 interrupted the doctor. I've seen your stage four. It doesn't take much account of other life forms. Primary response is to eliminate Serfian infestation. Nothing must intervene. Yes, I can see how those pesky centaurs and humans got in your way. Ah, the doctor pondered this for a moment. What happened to the giants of Pettingard? Primary response is to eliminate Serfian infestation, replied the Sharback. Nothing must intervene. You mean they didn't get out of the way of you Sharbacks? Primary response is to eliminate Serfian infestation. Nothing must intervene. The doctor groaned. You mean you killed them all, along with the Serfians? Primary response is to eliminate Serfian infestation. Nothing... Yeah, all right, roared the Doctor. Except that you wiped out the giants of Pettingard and still some of the Serfians got away, didn't they? That's why you've tracked them here to Recension. Carrying out your program long, long after you exterminated your original programmers. The enormous hatch behind the Doctor creaked as it started to close. He leaped to his feet in alarm and managed to slip out of the rear of the Sharback before its casing slammed shut with an ear-splitting clang. Systems restored, boomed the robot. It began to lever itself back to an upright position. Chunks of substation equipment scattered across the ground, some splashing into the nearby river. The steel lattice of pylons crumpled into tangled piles of metal and thick power lines twanged and snapped as though they were just cotton threads. Oh no you don't! The doctor tried sonicking the mighty automaton, but that had no further effect. I don't believe it! He slapped his head in disbelief. You kept me talking while you were self-repairing. I've been suckered by a robot! 
Pheromone signals increasing to the north-northwest, intoned the Sharbak. The Serpian infestation of this planet will be expunged. No matter what other creatures get in your way, groaned the Doctor. The Sharbak lifted its enormous foot and began to stalk off across the battered landscape. The only gun Donna had previously held was a pop gun at the fairground. This assault rifle was bigger, yet surprisingly light and portable. On the journey out, Private Merriam showed her how to key the weapon to her unique palm print and warned Donna not to expect it to be accurate beyond 300 metres. Donna laughed bitterly and replied she couldn't expect it to be accurate at all. I don't know that I could use this, she admitted. Merriam laughed at her. Wouldn't hurt a fly, is that it? You'll see it differently when the shooting starts. The transport vehicles deposited them on the fringe of a forested area before swiftly driving off in a cloud of scattered dust. General Brudge had made it clear that he was not going to lose any more equipment to an Aquabi ambush, so the platoon had to make its way on foot from here. That's because we're expendable, muttered Sergeant Chaco. But vehicles? Well, they're in short supply. OK, let's move out. The young trees at the edge of the forest soon gave way to thicker, older trunks, densely packed and gloomy. The group of soldiers, about thirty in total, stumbled their way through tangled undergrowth. Vines and lianas swung gently from far above. It was eerily silent, decided Donna. No animal noises, and barely another sound above the faint hiss of the wind through the foliage. Did you take your environmental protection? asked Merriam. Donna looked at her blankly. Your booster pill, Merriam said. Even her soft voice was startlingly loud. Donna watched her swallow down an inoculation tablet. Chaco and the soldiers nearby were doing the same. No, I think I'm okay. Merriam peered back beneath the shell of her battle helmet. You're not okay, Donna. You're scared witless. Donna smiled at her weakly. Thanks for boosting my confidence. No, it's all right to be frightened, Miriam explained. Everyone is. We don't all show it. She held back a springy branch to allow Donna to make progress through the snarled growth of stubby plants on the forest floor. They had reached a semicircular clearing. High above, the crown of trees parted and a bruised sky showed through the canopy. Shafts of light angled down, dazzling them at first. You must have been frightened in that previous battle, Merriam said. Terrified, admitted Donna. Well, you were brilliant. You were brave. You saved lives, Donna. You saved mine. Merriam clapped her on the shoulder. You held my hand all the way back to the hospital. Donna looked surprised. I thought you were unconscious. I know what you did, replied Merriam, and I'll never forget it. You stuck with me after that Aquabi ambush. I won't abandon you. She broke off as a cough racked her and had to drop to her haunches. Keep it down, hissed Sergeant Chaco from across the clearing. Yeah, keep your hair on, snapped Donna, or what's left of it anyway. She crouched down by Merriam to see if her friend was all right. I knew you weren't fully recovered. They should have kept you in hospital. Merriam shrugged her off reluctantly. It's okay. Donna wasn't so sure. How'd they fix your legs so quick? Must have been broken, looked like it was shattered. 
Dr. Lenova's team are fab, grinned Miriam. Nothing but the best for us troops. Ship us in, fix us up, ship us out. Zero inventory on injured infantry. That's what she calls it. Another explosive cough racked her. Donna got Miriam to rest on the bowl of a fallen tree. Looking after me again, grinned Miriam and sucked in a huge calming breath of forest air. Donna placed their rifles down on the sandy surface of the clearing. The other troops moved past them and covered the air cautiously with sweeping movements of their assault rifles. A bug-eyed private and an absurdly young-looking corporal shoved Donna aside as they backed around the open space. A branch snapped in the forest beyond the perimeter. Donna narrowed her eyes, struggling to see into the darkness. She could just make out the shape of a tall figure on a horse. She almost called out a warning to him that he'd get himself shot if he wasn't careful. Who would bring a horse into this jungle? A hot wave of fear washed over her. She scrabbled for her gun. That figure wasn't a horse rider. It wore a metal breastplate and brandished a crossbow weapon. It was an Aquabi soldier. The other members of the platoon had seen him too. Chaco yelled brisk, efficient orders. Within seconds, the clearing was ablaze with rifle fire. The forest wasn't silent anymore. It was full of the buzz of weaponry. The whip and thwack of shots fired into the trees. Yelled cries from the injured. Donna shrank behind the tree trunk and dragged the reluctant Merriam out of the clearing. Wouldn't hurt a fly, Merriam reminded her. Keep quiet and stay out of harm's way, Donna hissed at her. Merriam gave a deep groan of pain. Maybe you're more suited to the medical corps, Donna. Have you thought of that? Not a great time for career advice, all right, retorted Donna. Around them, human and Aquabi soldiers exchanged close-range fire. The Aquabi were weaving in and out of the confined space with a grace that belied their equine bodies. But Chaco's earlier plan now took effect. A dozen human soldiers had shinned up the trees around the perimeter, while the remainder of the troops forced the Aquabi into the clearing. Their ambushers were now surrounded and helpless. At the centre, one of the centaurs stood upright, his golden palomino coat shimmering with the sweat of his exertion. His torso was upright, his chest pushed out defiantly. When he glanced around at the ragged remains of his cohorts, he knew the game was up. So he threw down his crossbow weapon. The other centaurs did the same, except for one piebald mare. Mew too, Sergeant Cablenza, ordered the senior officer sharply and folded his muscular arms. The centaur said, Yes, Commander, but her furious eyes showed her reluctance. Sergeant Chaco stepped out from the cover and gestured to his soldiers. The clearing echoed to the sounds of rifles being cocked. Donna sprang forward to stand next to the centaurs. Stop, Chaco, I've surrendered! She faced the Aquabi commander. Hello, mate! He unfolded his arms but did not shake her outstretched hand. Donna couldn't tell whether his expression showed surprise or contempt. I've seen this film, haven't I? Donna babbled, desperate to prevent the humans from slaughtering these prisoners. You don't know a bloke called Forenzi, do you? Narnia? The Aquabi studied her blankly. Or was that Harry Potter? God, we had this in the last pub quiz. No, said the Aquabi, quietly. As your sergeant here knows, I am Commander Padova. His strong, confident voice trailed off. Donna whirled around, certain that the centaur had seen the human soldiers aiming their weapons ready to kill. But they were not. 
the nearest group had dropped their weapons and were standing stock still. Their eyes were glassy and they held their arms stiffly out to either side of their bodies. The bug-eyed private was the first to transform. It was like watching a horrid magic trick. His whole body blurred and changed, melting and swiftly reforming into a huge insect. The awful creature stretched its new limbs experimentally and clacked its horrid jaws. Freshly grown wings flickered behind its thorax. The Aquabi centaurs stared in disbelief. They pawed at the dried ground with their front hooves, appalled at the sight, but too wary to recover their discarded weapons. Sergeant Chaco flung himself away from the mutating creatures. He watched, dumbfounded, as his young corporal metamorphosed. Soon, a crowd of the soldiers were no longer human. Donna hurried over to Merriam and helped her move out of danger. The insect creatures scuttled across the clearing, trilling and churring as they rubbed their legs together. A new sound from deeper in the forest was agitating them. A tearing, rending noise. The sound of branches wrenched from trunks and the splintering crash of trees uprooted and cast down on the forest floor. The canopy beyond the clearing was shredded in a single savage movement and a massive shadow loomed. Donna gaped at the silhouette that towered overhead. It was the biggest robot she'd ever seen. A grotesque exaggeration of a wind-up birthday gift she'd bought for a friend's son. Its midsection swivelled as it positioned its arm to aim monstrous cannons. Blindingly bright, white-hot beams lanced down on them. The ground exploded and three of the insect creatures evaporated in front of Donna. The rest scattered like bugs suddenly revealed under a lifted rock. Some of them escaped into the undergrowth, but at least half a dozen were destroyed when a gigantic metal foot plunged into the clearing and squashed them flat. Donna blinked in disbelief. It wasn't just that she recognised that huge silver column as the same thing from the earlier attack. She also recognised what stood precariously balanced on the robotic foot, clutching desperately to its shiny metallic ankle. Doctor! The robot swivelled on the ball of its foot. The doctor seized this opportunity, leapt off and scrambled across the clearing. As he ran, he passed the bewildered group of cowering Aquabi. Hello again, Commander Padova. Get your troops out of its way! He grabbed hold of Donna as he passed, and together they ran for what little cover the nearest trees could afford them. Padova needed no further encouragement. All around, trees were bursting into flames and clods of earth exploded from the ground beneath the robot's onslaught. Padova broke into a canter and waved his soldiers back towards cover. One centaur had not moved. Padova made a canter pirouette to face the soldier and yelled another order. Get a move on, Sergeant Cablenza! Cablenza, however, stood stock still. It was like the centaur could not see what was happening around her. And then, her piebald coat shimmered and smudged. Mere seconds later, the transformation was complete. All that remained where the sergeant had stood was another huge insect. Commander Padova was appalled. Cablenza, no! It was futile. Before the insect that had been Cablenza could even move, the robotic foot swung across and crushed it. 
almost as soon as it had arrived, the hulking automaton was gone. They could all hear it smashing its way off through the forest, splintering the trees as though they were merely straw. The sharp buzz of its lasers and the accompanying explosions faded away. Most of the centaurs had slipped back into the forest, terrified and unarmed. Commander Padova and one of his staff were the only Aquabi still in the clearing. The ragged remnants of the human troop surrounded them. Donna pushed her face close to Chaco's. You're going to treat them like prisoners of war or I'll be personally explaining it to your tribunal. Chaco broke the gaze first. She had recognised his basic decency. Fall back, the sergeant shouted at his remaining troops. We're requesting evacuation to Van Eyes Hospital. Oh, Donna, you are good at this, crowed the doctor. He stood in the centre of the wrecked clearing, wire thin and wild, his precipitous quiff askew as usual. Donna smiled weakly back at him. I look all right, Miss Doctor. Well, the uniform's not very flattering, he agreed. You said it makes my bum look big, eh? The doctor sucked air through his teeth. No good answer to that kind of question. Just watch it, Bean Powell, she warned him, good-humouredly. Besides, you look like you've been dragged through a hedge backwards. More than normal, that is. Funny you should say that, he told her. That's the last time I hitch a lift from a Sharback integrated pest management droid. I just grabbed on and held on. You could have been squished, Donna said. Nah, said the doctor. It didn't seem to notice, or if it did notice, then it didn't care. It's concentrating entirely on eliminating the Surfian infestation. There were those insects. Donna pondered this as they began to trail back through the forest. That robot turned up just as those insect things began to appear. Yes, shouted the doctor. That's it. That Sharback robot mentioned a pheromone signal. They stumbled onwards through the undergrowth, half carrying Merriam between them. Ahead, the human soldiers were herding the two Iquabi prisoners. My feet are killing me, muttered Donna. Do you think they'd give us a horseback ride? The doctor tutted. They are people, Donna, not pack animals. They reached the edge of the forest. The battered shape of the hover transport loomed in the late afternoon light, kicking up spirals of dust from its skirting. A tall figure on its tailgate urged them onwards. From his height and his lumpen shaved head, it was obviously Lieutenant Jovich. Donna stopped abruptly, and the doctor almost walked into the back of her. You okay? he asked her. Suppose, she said. The weight of Merriam on her arm recalled the first time she'd travelled to Van Eyes Mobile Hospital. Frightened? asked the doctor. Donna sighed. Too scared to be frightened. She watched the human soldiers prodding Padova on board the transport. But I don't want to die yet, you know. Too much still to do. Visit the pyramids, write our novel, redecorate the back bedroom. Lieutenant Jovich beckoned them aboard. Come on, young lovers. Donna didn't need her assault rifle. She gave him a look that could kill. We're not a couple. Not going out, not married, confirmed the doctor. You're right, said Jovich, and secured the door behind them. Donna squirmed on the rough bench seat. She was painfully aware of that previous journey, clutching Miriam's hand. Where's Sherlock now? Sharback, corrected the doctor. Hunting as you think? No, the doctor dismissed the idea at once. It's only interested when the Surfian insects hatch out. Hatch? Donna grimaced. Oh? Yeah, 
The Sharbak must pick up on their pheromone signature. Right now, it'll be chasing down those surfings that flew off into the forest. It doesn't care about the rest of us. Humans, centaurs, anything. Unless we get in the way. The huge military transport jolted its way towards Van Eyes. You'd think that a hovercraft would be less bumpy, grumbled Donna. My bum's gone numb. Haven't I heard of suspension? There's one injured woman here already. Private Merriam smiled weakly. Did you complain this much last time? Here you are again, making sure I'm okay, nursing the injured. Only this time, reflected Donna, there were no other injured soldiers to nurse. All the victims had transformed into surfian insects. What's happening on this planet, Doctor? He watched Sergeant Chaco guarding the two Equabi prisoners at the far side of the vehicle. These soldiers on recension embody the best and worst of humanity, he said quietly. The bravery and ingenuity of explorers at the edge of human space, but the thoughtless indifference of settlers displacing native populations. When he stared at Donna, his eyes were the brightest things in the half-light of the truck. Don't blame me, Doctor. Just because I'm human doesn't make me responsible for your... Second beautiful empire, whatever it was. Great and bountiful, he corrected her. They've struggled to establish themselves on this planet and got into a kind of guerrilla war of attrition with the locals. These centaurs, yeah, they're called the Aquabi. Devils on horseback, that's what General Brudge calls them, said Miriam. The general says that they're animals. Aren't we all, retorted the doctor. This General Brudge sounds like a charmer, though. His comments had drawn Jovic's attention. The lieutenant was so tall that he had to stoop when he stood in the rear of the transport. It made him look like he was looming over them. His tired eyes flicked over each of them in turn. You should show more respect for the general, growled Jovic. The doctor beamed back at him. The fact you have to insist suggests otherwise, don't you think? He's captured the Aquabi commander, Jovic replied. No! The doctor persisted. This brave sergeant here captured the Aquabi commander. General Brudge is generally absent from these skirmishes, wouldn't you say? Interesting that Commander Padova was in the front line. The Aquabi commander heard his own name. And my warriors will not stand by and see me in captivity. They will be preparing for rescue or revenge, he added darkly. And so... Sighed the doctor, this fighting goes on and on and on and on. It's war, stated Padova simply. And on and on and on, the doctor continued. Commander Padova is right, interjected Jovich. And on and on, concluded the doctor. Well, good news, boys. First thing is, there are two soldiers here who could make a difference to that. You've both seen fighting on the front line. You don't like each other, but you respect each other. And the second thing is that you've both got bigger things to worry about now. Way bigger. You mean that dirty grey robot thing? said Donna. Nope. The doctor shook his head and folded his arms. Even bigger than that. Humans and Iquabi have got a common threat now. It's those surfian insect drones. I still think it's a robot, said Donna. Nah, that's just killing the insects. Marvellous creation, though. It's got a hypergolic power system. What? Are you just making these words up, Doctor? You can tell me, you know. Hypergolic. Ignites on contact. Doesn't need a spark or a flame. Much more efficient than this truck's internal combustion engine. That robot is hugely powerful, but there's only one of it. How's it going to keep up with all those insects? 
And where are they all coming from, eh? I'll tell you. Those humans you saw change into insects, they were infested with surfian eggs. You saw them hatching out. Oh, yuck, said Donna. But she could hear an odd cackling sound from the far side of the truck. It was the first time that she had heard any of the Aquabi laugh. Commander Padova seemed greatly amused. That robot wants only to destroy the insects, and the insects are infecting the humans. Soon, only the Aquabi will be left. Rain in that enthusiasm, chided the doctor. You saw what happened to your sergeant. She was infected by a Serfian queen in your prison. Aquabi are not immune. The Serfians aren't choosy. They'll infest anything. He tugged at his wild hair, as though that might stimulate the brain cells. But why are so many more humans affected? Something in the environment? suggested Donna. No, 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 no. That would affect the Aquabi just as much. Donna stood abruptly, as she had a nasty thought. Or their environmental protection, those inoculation pills. Oh, very good, grinned the doctor. Donna looked worriedly at Miriam. And maybe that would explain why these soldiers recover so quickly from their injuries. It's not a cure after all. Someone's duped the super troopers, shouted the doctor. He leapt up and gave Donna a big hug. You are amazing, Donna Noble. You amaze me. Every soldier in this transport has taken the inoculations, said Lieutenant Jovich. Yeah, Donna agreed, including me. The doctor jumped across the truck and hammered his fist on the rear of the driver's cab. Back to Van Eyes Hospital! Pronto! Hurry up! Don't spare the horses! He noticed that the Aquabi were staring furiously at him. Sorry, he said, but we need medical facilities to find some way of dissolving those eggs inside people. Otherwise, no one on this planet will be safe. Jenkerton Nash had politely endured the tour of Van Nuys Hospital's research area. His tour of the facilities had dragged on, but Nash had survived longer and more boring publicity events in his time. Nash had insisted on seeing Surgeon Lanova. His intern escort had attempted to fob him off with a later appointment, but Nash had invoked General Brudge's possible intervention. The journalist had cruelly enjoyed the obvious torment this provoked. Who would the intern be more afraid of, Brudge or Lanova? Nash spared the intern any more struggle and pushed past him into Lanova's office. He'd seen images of the surgeon before, either from her official record or snapshots taken in the field. She'd put on a lot of weight since then. She seemed to have spread herself across the far side of the table in the darkened office. She was drinking, but the glass tumbler seemed tiny in her podgy hand. And there was an odd smell in the room. More surprising was that Lenova was obviously expecting him. Will this take long, Mr Nash? I'm a busy woman. A spasm of pain seemed to cross her face and then vanished. Nash stifled a giggle. What must the surgeon have been eating? Let's get straight to it then, said Lenova briskly. Nash sat across the table from her and studied her sunken eyes for a reaction to his words. I'm not just an embedded journalist with this platoon. I'm also the brother of one of your soldiers. My sister is Corporal Follette Nash. Lenova's eyes didn't change, but her thin grey lips tightened. Follette was injured in a recent assault off-world, but was brought here to the Van Eyes Hospital. 
Why would that be? We're the best medical facility in this quadrant, replied Lenovo smoothly. Her injuries were supposedly so severe that she was to be shipped home to Earth, Nash persisted. What's so special about this place? What's so special about you, Surgeon Lenovo? Lenovo's fat face shook. Let me show you, Mr. Nash. The door behind Nash creaked open and two figures came into the office. One was the intern from earlier. When Nash saw the other face, though, he leapt to his feet so quickly that he overturned his office chair. Follette, I've been looking. The rest of the words caught in his throat as the emotion began to overwhelm him. His eyes prickled with hot tears and Follette's smiling face blurred, then smudged, then changed. Where the girl had stood was an enormous six-legged insect. Nash tried to back away, but the table was in the way. He twisted around to beg Lenova for help, but the surgeon just pursed her thin lips into a grim smile. Her fat cheeks jiggled with amusement. Why, Mr Nash, aren't you pleased to see your sister? The military transport swept into the main square of the mobile hospital, propelling clouds of gritty dust against the main building. The rear tailgate slammed down even before the engine cut out, and the doctor and Donna hopped out. A small group of orderlies scurried through the choking clouds of dirt, ready to receive the wounded as the transport disgorged them. They were baffled to find no patients. Only able-bodied soldiers and a tall, thin man in a dusty brown pinstriped suit, who was already shouting his demands. Who's in charge here? And why is this place so far away from the front line? Lieutenant Jovic jumped down from the truck. Surgeon Lanova won't move from this spot. Sounds overcautious for an army hospital, said the doctor. He got no further reaction from Jovic, though. The lieutenant snapped his hand up to his potato-shaped head in a crisp salute. All the other soldiers stiffened too. The imperious figure of General Brudge stalked across the hospital grounds to meet them. Hello, I'm Dr McCoy and this is my associate Captain Kirk. We require your medical facilities to... Donna nudged him. I've been around with me a while back, Doctor. Brudge appeared to ignore them anyway as he returned the lieutenant's salute. Excellent work, Yavich. Bring out the prisoners. Jovic caught the doctor's eye briefly before he replied, Actually, it was Sergeant Chaco who made the capture, sir. The two Iquabi were lowered from the truck. The sinews twitched in the back of Brudge's shaved head as he watched the prisoners. At his command, two soldiers kicked the back of Padova's front knees. The Iquabi commander stumbled forward painfully into the dirt. The soldiers either side of him seized his arms. Now, he was the same height as Brudge. The human general pulled back his arm and delivered an open-palmed slap across Padova's face that rocked the Aquabi backwards. Oya! yelled the doctor and placed himself between the two commanders. No need for that, he's your prisoner of war. Life is brutal at the front, sneered Brudge. And you'd know about that, would you, general, from here at the rear? The doctor glared at him the only person who seemed unabashed by Brudge's mere presence. Perhaps you should see what your super troops witnessed on the front line. Face what they faced before you expect to send them back. The general's thin ears reddened. You dare to call me a coward? What wars have you fought, doctor? Don't get him started, murmured Donna. 
You don't want to know. You really don't, the doctor said. But I'll say this. It isn't me who needs two burly soldiers to force a captive to his knees so that you can strike him across the face. The whole of General Brudge's tanned face went purple. But before his rage could explode, there was a prolonged, horrified scream from a nearby building. Brudge whirled round. That's Lanova's office. The doctor and Donna had already run past him towards the scream. That building is off limits, shouted Brudge. Oh, I like off limits, called back the doctor and crashed through the entrance doors. The first thing that struck Donna about Surgeon Lanova's office was the smell. It was like the overpowering odour of old syrup. Maybe it was more noticeable because the room was so gloomy. When her eyes adjusted, she could make out a bizarre group standing on the other side of the large table that dominated the office. The journalist, Nash, was whimpering and quivering in the clutches of a huge surfian. Another insect hovered, uncertain. Seated, watching, was the humped shape of Surgeon Lanova. Donna's heart raced. They needed a distraction of some kind. She slid around one side of the desk. That is the biggest woman I have ever seen, she declared. And I have watched every episode of Celebrity Fat Club. You want to lay off the chunky monkey, darling? It's going to kill you. Stay back, Donna, warned the doctor. He pointed to the surfian that held Nash. Let him go. The surfian twisted Nash in its spindly embrace and broke his neck. The body dropped to the office floor. The second surfian quivered and shuddered. Then, abruptly, it launched itself against the other insect, gnashing at it with its horrible mandibles. General Brudge burst into the office behind the doctor, took one look at the battling creatures and loosed off a fusillade of shots from his handgun. The creatures shrieked briefly and fell still. A gaggle of troops were trying to break into the room behind Brudge, but the doctor shouted to them to stay back. Interesting, said Lanova. Without rising from her chair, she studied the broken bodies as though this was the most natural thing in the world. It seems that there was still something of Nash's sister in there, after all. She folded her chubby arms on the table and offered a gruesome smile to her new guests. What is going on here, Lanova? demanded Brudge, though his familiar commanding tone was absent. The doctor placed his hands on the table and stared across at Lenova. You knew about the Surfians all along, didn't you? Lenova's ghastly grin didn't falter. I unearthed a long dormant batch of these insect eggs from a battle crater. Not far from here. I've been able to refine them into the inoculations for our soldiers. Brudge blanched. What have you done? I've done what you wanted, General, replied Lenova. Created the battle troops you need to destroy those devils on horseback. And you've restarted the Serpian's parasitical life cycle, shouted the doctor. Brudge had raised his handgun again and aimed it with a trembling hand at Surgeon Lenova. I should kill you now. The doctor whirled around and, in one fluid movement, snatched the weapon from Brudge's nerveless hand. He aimed it back at Brudge. The general stared down the barrel, unafraid. The weapon is key to my palm print, doctor. Yeah, I know that, said the doctor. He aimed the weapon at his own head and pulled the trigger. There was a loud click as the safety device kicked in. Brudge flinched involuntarily. 
The doctor aimed it at Lenova and pulled the trigger again, another resounding click. Lenova closed her eyes and seemed, bizarrely, to purr with pleasure. Three should do it, the doctor said. He aimed the gun between Brudge's eyes and pulled the trigger once more. This time there was a loud click and a buzz. All the electronic lights on the gun faded and died. There we go, smiled the doctor. I'm so disarming. Brudge glared furiously. All right, he cried. What if everyone in this war was to throw down his weapon? What would happen then? I suppose that peace would break out, replied the doctor. Brudge snorted dismissively. You don't have the courage to bear arms, doctor. The doctor stared at Brudge very closely. Oh, there are lots of other things I'll bear, and bravely too, he hissed. I'll bear witness, I'll bear the blame, bear ridicule, bear fruit, Goldilocks and the three bears. I can bear a burden, bear inspection, bear pain, I can grin and bear it. I may be a bear of little brain, General, but what you should bear in mind is that I don't care to, and I don't need to, bear arms. He thrust the disabled handgun back into the General's hands. Ha! laughed Donna. I bet you can't bear children, though. Oh, I don't know, some of them are all right. The doctor turned to face her. Though once again, Donna, you amaze me. You've put your finger right on it. I have. The doctor slammed his hands back down on the big table. Surgeon Lanova here is doing more than creating Surfian drones, aren't you? Sat there, fat and happy behind your desk, giving orders for your experiments and inoculations, but you never get up from there. And it's not laziness, is it? He gripped the edge of the table and yanked hard. Its feet screeched in protest as he dragged the furniture across the office floor. Lenova's awful smile vanished in an instant. Donna boggled at what she saw. Only the upper part of Lenova's body was still human. Everything below her waist was even more bloated. It was a slimy, distended, bulbous alien creature that trailed slug-like behind her into a hole in the ground. Donna pressed herself back against the office wall in horror. You're not human, the doctor said to Lenova. Not anymore. You long ago took on the attributes of a Surfian queen, laying your eggs into that hole behind you. What happens then, Lenova? Your insect friends bury the eggs? Yes, hissed Lenova. Her dreadful smile was returning. I'm controlling my drones until they've supervised the development of more queens underground. Donna was shocked. These drones were all soldiers once. Lenova barked a brittle laugh. <laughs> you don't think I've really shipped any wounded soldiers back to Earth, do you? I need as much help as I can get. Well, you've been rumbled good and proper, the doctor told her. Now that those pheromones are on the wind above ground, the Sharback exterminator will be on its way. Lenova's pitch-black eyes glittered in the dark. The ancient enemy, she uttered through gritted teeth. Let it come. In a flurry of movement by the entrance door, Brudge was hustling a handful of armed soldiers into the room. They gaped in incredulity at what they saw. Private Miriam seemed to be having trouble catching her breath too, and threw a look of panic and disbelief at Donna. Give me a fresh weapon, soldier, 
Brudge snapped at Miriam. I'm going to destroy this foul monster where it squats in its own slime. Come on! A weapon, I said! The soldiers didn't seem to hear him. They stiffened in the doorway, torsos rigid, arms stuck out at an ungainly angle. Miriam! No! Donna let out a wail of disbelief and rage and despair. Something clutched at her heart as she watched her friend's shape smear and distort and transform into one of the Surfian insects. Brudge staggered away from them into the room. Lenova beckoned to the Surfians and they skittered across the floor to surround the general. He howled as their gangly limbs wrapped themselves around him, shoving him around the table to where the swollen Surfian queen was waiting. Do you know, general, leered Lenova, I think I'm finally feeling a bit peckish. In one swift movement, Lenova pounced on Brudge. Donna heard the doctor yell out in anger as he lunged forward to intervene, but the Surfian surged over to obstruct him and he was powerless to prevent Brudge being devoured by Lenova. The insect creatures moved aside again, trapping Donna on the far side of the office. Still not keen on guns, Doctor? She called to him. The rest of her complaint was lost in a tremendous explosion outside the office. A percussive blast of air ripped through the office, flinging furniture and papers and people aside. The ceiling cracked open and roofing tumbled into the room. The room filled with dust and debris and Donna could no longer see the doctor. After that, she couldn't see anything as her vision faded into blackness. The doctor scrambled from the office and into the open air. The high-pitched whine of incoming shells filled the air. All around, troops rushed to defensive positions, desperate to identify the location of their attackers. Spouts of torn earth erupted all around them, showering down on everything in a filthy hail of stones and dirt. The mobile hospital's flimsy buildings began to crumple and collapse under the onslaught. Flames flickered around the entrance to Lenova's office. The doctor launched himself back at the office door, yelling for Donna in the hope she could hear him. A pair of brawny hands held him back, and the doctor struggled to see who it was. Lieutenant Jovich had him in a firm grip. Leave it to the firefighters, the lieutenant told him. You'll just get yourself killed, and how will that help the people trapped in there? Six burly soldiers were attacking the fire with extinguishers. All the medical equipment is in there, yelled the doctor, and so is Donna. I know, and I want to rescue General Bludge just as much, said Jovich. We need him out here. With him in charge, our troops are a formidable fighting machine, fit to repel this Iquabi attack. Bludge is dead. The doctor studied the lieutenant for a reaction. Lenova has been turning your formidable fighting machines into those insects. Brudge is their latest victim. That puts you in charge, Lieutenant. While they were speaking, the shelling had stopped. What they could hear now was the settling of broken buildings, the shouts of soldiers and the low drone of a solitary aircraft high above. This must be it, Jovich said. The Aquabi have been throwing everything into this assault. They've stopped their bombardment and now they're on their way. Hardly a surprise, said the doctor. Commander Padova warned you they would. You're right. For the first time, Jovic's tired eyes seemed to register some emotion. He jogged off across the central square, issuing orders to his accompanying subordinates. The firefighters appeared to be mastering the conflagration now. 
Without his TARDIS, the Doctor knew that the mobile hospital's medical facilities were his only resource to counteract Lenova's damaging inoculations. He'd better get straight to work. Unfortunately, just as he was crossing to the hospital block, a dazzling line of tracer fire zipped past him. A clutch of Iquabi warriors dropped into the main square, targeting the ground troops as they arrived with their crossbow weapons. The warriors' breastplates gleamed in the late afternoon sun, and the silk of their parachutes billowed above them. The Doctor dived from the line of fire and took cover behind a small transport vehicle. The Aquabi hit the ground at a gallop and charged the defending troops who responded with a withering, brutal exchange of crossfire. Charged bolts sizzled across the hospital campus, shots zinged off breastplates and the thunderous hoofbeat of dozens of Aquabi filled the smoky air. Just at the moment it seemed that the Aquabi had finally overwhelmed the human troops, they skittered to a halt, holding back their final assault. The doctor crawled out from behind the transport to see what had happened. Commander Padova was cantering towards them. He slowed to a trot until he stood in front of them. His wrists were handcuffed. Astride his back was Lieutenant Jovic, who held a handgun to the commander's temple. The Aquabi attackers bridled with anger, incensed by the humiliation of their leader but powerless to intervene. They did not lower their weapons, training them on the remnants of the human army, but withholding their fire. If this is who you came to liberate, yelled Jovic, then you have failed. Surrender now and we will spare you, as I have spared your leader here. Padova stood defiantly silent, his head unbowed, his torso upright and proud. He seemed about to speak, until a thunderous noise from the middle distance interrupted the confrontation. A huge Dark silhouette grew larger against the late afternoon sun. With every thunderous step it took closer to them, the ground trembled. Human and Aquabi alike gazed at it in appalled wonder. The Sharback robot slammed its feet down, trashing hedges and tearing up massive chunks of earth in its inexorable progress towards them. Without needing orders, all the soldiers on both sides turned to face it. They checked their ammunition and prepared to engage this extraordinary new threat. The Doctor sprang across the open ground, ducking and shimmying between the frightened fighters until he reached Padova and Jovic. He brandished his sonic screwdriver and with a swift blast he unlocked the handcuffs. Commander Padova, Lieutenant Jovic, I really need your help. I have to try and stop that thing before it reaches the hospital. It's detected the pheromones, so it's going to wipe out Lenova and her Serfians. My men will destroy it, said Jovic. They will not. Padova told him. It destroyed the Aquabi headquarters like knocking down a house of straw, and it swatted aside our best and bravest warriors. This confession from his sworn enemy clearly impressed Jovic. Order your troops to leave it alone. It won't harm them if they stay out of its way, the doctor explained. But I have to stop it trashing the medical centre, because that will destroy our last hope of a cure for Lenova's inoculations. Padova turned his body sideways so that he and Jovic could watch the looming bulk of the approaching robot. It doesn't look harmless, grunted Jovic. It just wants to eradicate vermin, said the doctor, the way that Brudge said he'd eradicate the Aquabi, except that robot is dispassionate, clinical. To the Sharback, this is all just a matter of programming. The difference with Brudge is that he seemed to enjoy it. I'm not Brudge, said Jovic. Bitterly, and yet you're straddling this noble Aquabi against his will like a beast of burden? Who's the devil on horseback now, Lieutenant? Jovic had the decency to look ashamed. 
If your men turn into Serfians, continued the doctor, they become vermin to the Sharbak. To that robot, it's just a matter of pest control. How does it feel to be on the receiving end? Yulvich pondered this briefly, then slipped from Padova's back and holstered his weapon. The vibration of the Sharbak's footsteps grew stronger. The two commanding officers stood side by side and ordered their troops to cease fire. Thank you. Thank you so much, breathed the doctor. He adjusted his sonic screwdriver. Now, I need to get over to the Sharbak and try to deflect its progress. Get up, said Padova. He grabbed the doctor in his strong hands and placed him upon his own broad back. The Aquabi commander looked over to Jovich. Are you coming too? Jovich grinned and leapt up behind the doctor. Padova kicked his heels and they were suddenly racing off away from the hospital and directly towards the Sharbak. The doctor clung to Padova's torso and aimed his sonic screwdriver at the approaching robot with his free hand. It's no good, groaned the doctor. The Sharbak must have readjusted after my earlier attack. Suddenly, the Sharbak stumbled. Its legs seemed to crumple beneath it and it flung its arms up in a vain attempt to stay upright. The doctor gave a whoop of delight. Immediately followed, by a shout of alarm. It wasn't the sonicking that had felled the giant robot. It was the ground collapsing beneath it. A gaping chasm opened in the field under its feet and the metal behemoth plunged into the gap. Padova spotted the danger and locked his legs, but the three of them continued to slide forward until he teetered on the brink of the chasm, wobbled precariously and finally fell helplessly over and over down into the black maw of the churned ground. Grassy clods of earth and a rushing stream of topsoil cascaded down along with them. The doctor crashed to a halt on a broad metal plate where he lay, winded. He struggled to catch his breath. In the darkness, Padova snorted with pain. Mud and dirt continued to pour on top of them. Just as the doctor thought they'd be buried in this makeshift grave, the torrent slowed to a trickle. He shrugged off the worst of the soil while his eyes adjusted. Once he was accustomed to the lower level of light down here, he shuffled over to Padova. The centaur was checking his forelegs, grimacing in pain as his hands explored the flexor tendons between his knees and fetlocks. The doctor cautiously examined the rear legs and satisfied himself that hawks and shanks were undamaged. Bruised but not broken, he declared. That's going to hurt in the morning. If we get out of here, said Jovic's voice. He slid across from a rocky ledge where he had landed. We'll need to winch him up. That's the spirit, declared the doctor. I like the we, by the way. All in it together. Nice one. Right in it, observed Jovic. The three of them gazed into the gloom. A mix of amazement and dread crept over them. Much of their surroundings had collapsed under the weight of the falling Sharbak robot, but enough remained for them to see the extraordinary structure that was concealed beneath the surface. Mud and leaves and mulched wood were smoothed and formed into myriad cells. Each cell was a rough hexagon, the height of a man, and they stretched off into the distance in a densely packed matrix. In many cells, Surfian drones stared out in bewilderment at the sudden brutal intrusion. Some retreated back into the corridors, chittering in alarm, 
Others fell forward and launched into the air on their flickering wings as the cell edges crumbled away beneath them. Astonishing, breathed the doctor. They're not intelligent creatures, but they've worked together to build this extraordinary insect cathedral. Reacting to chemical stimuli, leaving their own scent trails, each working autonomously, instinctively. Brilliant idiots, that's what they are, brilliant idiots. And all those stimuli came out of one chemical signal from Surgeon Lenova, sitting fat and happy back above ground. Queen of all she surveys. Jovic swore and pointed into the depths. I think I can see other members of the royalty. There was a row of larger, merged cells about ten floors beneath them. The waxen pallor of half a dozen slug-like bodies glistened in the half-light. That's not good, agreed the doctor. Not good at all. They're developing young queens and those will start laying eggs too. They'll overwhelm this planet in less than a week. The Sharback robot shuddered and twitched beneath them. It had tumbled awkwardly when the weakened ground collapsed beneath its weight. Now it sprawled across a wide expanse of the cathedral. The remains of the robot ticked as it cooled down. Its head was snapped at the neck, twisted almost backwards, its once glittering eyes now dim. A huge limb was severed from the torso. It had plunged down into the depths, cutting a swathe through the fragile cell structure. Wait a minute, said the doctor. Ticking as it cools down? I don't think so. He unsealed a gigantic rear panel on the robot's torso. Jovic and Padova helped him shove the panel off until it slid over the side and scythed its way down into the dark pit of the cathedral. Jovic saw his reaction. Not good? Even worse, shouted the doctor. The Sharbak's fatally damaged, its self-destruct has activated, and it's got a great big tank full of hypergolic fuel. He scrambled up. No time to defuse it, gotta get out of here. Padova craned his neck to see how far down they had fallen. The surface looked impossibly distant. I can't climb that far, not in these shoes. He waggled his forelimbs to show the metal under his hooves. Before the doctor could comment, Lieutenant Jovic had moved briskly to the Aquabi side. Come on, that mudslide will offer some traction, and you've got six sound limbs there, soldier. Use your legs to push, those strong arms of yours to pull. Doctor, you and I will assist from either flank. The doctor grinned in admiration. Yes, sir! They made painfully slow progress up a skewed slide of fallen dirt that led to the surface. A handful of Surfian drones flitted past them. Padova struggled ahead as the doctor and Jovic shoved. It seemed the further they got, the louder the Sharbak's ticking became. They approached the edge. Humans and Aquabi peered over the lip at them. Many hands reached down to assist, and with a final heave they were all able to scramble onto the surface. Sergeant Chaco was in the group who had pulled them out. Order, sir, he asked. Run, bellowed the doctor and Jovic together. The Aquabi warriors reared and galloped away, the human soldiers hard after them. The crowd had barely reached the fringes of the mobile hospital before a thunderclap cracked through the air. A massive gout of flame roared into the early evening sky. It was a volcano blast of fire and debris shooting straight up out of the hole and instantly incinerating a cloud of Surfians as they rose from the pit. 
The heat washed over the doctor. He could feel it crisping the ends of his spiky hair. The ground beneath them bucked and heaved. The earthquake rippled on into the hospital grounds, rattling metal buildings like charity collection tins, overtoppling a tall-sided vehicle, snapping the three-pointed communications mast like straw. Mud and topsoil began to rain down in a choking cloud. A handful of Surfian drones with frazzled wings were crawling away from the devastation. The doctor wanted to call out a warning, but could hardly speak for coughing and spluttering. Commander Padova slapped him on the back. Are you all right, Doctor? I'm a little hoarse, croaked the Doctor. He looked apologetically at the centaur. I know the feeling, grinned Padova. Jovic couldn't help laughing with them. The Doctor cleared his throat. You two need to coordinate your remaining forces to track down those escaping Surfian drones. You don't have to be like the Sharbak, blindly following its programming even beyond the extinction of its own race. You both know you can work together now. The two commanders nodded. What about you, Doctor? asked Jovic. The doctor stared towards the medical centre. I need to work on an antidote for Lenovo's inoculation, otherwise your soldiers aren't going to stay your soldiers for much longer, Lieutenant. And I need to find Donna. The carpet tasted awful. Donna gagged and surreptitiously wiped her mouth with the back of her hand. Should she pretend she was still unconscious? Back with us, are you? asked Lenova's voice. No, decided Donna. She'd been rumbled. The whole building had been rumbling only a couple of minutes ago. It was some kind of earthquake, that's what had woken Donna. Someone had already dragged her against a side wall, so when more of the shattered ceiling had tumbled into the room, she had been unscathed. The sickly sweet smell of the office was tinged with something new. It was an awful barbecue kind of pong. When she leaned up against the wall, she realised with a thrill of pure horror where the stink came from. It was Lenova. Her arms and torso were still recognisably a person, though her fat jowls quivered with pain and anger. But the human half sat incongruously above the greasy slug-like foot. The rear of that repugnant lower body was burnt and smouldering. The surgeon had finally moved away from behind her desk. Where she had sat earlier was now a rough pile of toppled filing cabinets and charred carpet. There had been a fire in the hole and Lenova had been injured. Her insect slaves made a desultory attempt to tidy the room. Housemaids, they weren't. In the end, Lenova waved them away irritably. Mind a right mess of this place, Donna mumbled. Can't get a staff these days, can you? Lenova slid across the room with a dreadful squelching noise. She grabbed a handful of Donna's hair and gave it a brutal tug. Many of my sons and daughters have died today, she spat. Donna tried not to show how petrified she felt. Lots of humans died to become your sons and daughters. She twisted out of Lenova's grip and attempted to locate Miriam. One of them was my friend. No matter, replied Lenova. We are few, but the ancient enemy is dead now. Soon we will be many again. The Serfians will survive. Donna staggered to her feet and considered her options for escape. 
Lenova had anticipated this and gestured her Surfian drones to block the exit. In her other hand, the surgeon brandished a weapon. Don't try to run, warned Lenova. I'll just shoot you. To wound, not to kill. Donna snorted with disgust. What do you want to do? Eat me? Tempting, laughed Lenova. I hope you choke, blurted Donna. This made Lenova laugh all the more. I need as many human hosts as I can find. And you, Donna Noble, have swallowed the medication, haven't you? Not as much as the other soldiers, but... The slug-like monstrosity sniffed the air, pushing her fat lips and heavy jowls close to Donna's face. I can detect it. You're nursing a Surfian right now. Can't you feel it? Growing inside you. Fear shrank Donna's stomach. She thought she might be sick. Soon, crooned Lenova. So soon. Sorry I couldn't get here sooner, cried a familiar voice, and the doctor burst in through the main office door, brandishing the sonic screwdriver. He clattered to a halt in the debris of the smashed room. Donna's heart leapt in her chest and she punched the air. Doctor! she yelled. Her delight was short-lived, though. The Surfians guarding the door soon recovered their wits. Two grappled the doctor from either side, while a third dropped onto him from its perch in the broken ceiling. Surgeon Lenova slimed her way over to the intruder. She brandished a wicked-looking hypodermic. Very timely, Doctor. I can inoculate you, too, while you're here. I think an injected dose rather than orally. Don't you? She tugged the doctor's sleeve up his arm. Donna's hopes were crushed. She slid down the wall, aghast. I don't want to be creepy crawly. Surgeon Lenova paused, her hypodermic hovering. You humans are weak. Oh, you humans, is it now? said the doctor. The woman fears the inevitable, continued Lenova. She has no courage. She could not kill on the field of battle. I know that much from her friend Miriam. Surgeon Lenova indicated the Surfian nearest to her, one of the two who had pinioned the doctor. Donna will be like Miriam soon enough. Then she'll be able to kill, like any good Surfian. She'll be a mindless drone, snapped the doctor. And that's a good thing, is it, Surgeon Lenova? His gaze bored into her sunken eyes as he quoted, Remember that there is art to medicine as well as science, and that warmth, sympathy and understanding may outweigh the surgeon's knife or the chemist's drug. The Hippocratic Oath, spat Lenova. How human. Donna looked in pity at Lenova. There's less human in you than in any of these poor creatures. She peered despondently at the Surfian that had been Miriam. The Surfian gazed back, its mandibles clicking as it cocked its head. There are other kinds of bravery than being able to kill, continued Donna. Miriam told me that, like bringing her back to the hospital when all I wanted to do was run away and find the doctor, or staying with her on the front line. I'd do it all again. And if you were still Miriam, I'd tell you that to your face. Oh, do shut up, snapped Lenova. You're the one going on about courage, snarled Donna, so there's no need to bite me head off. 
I can't listen to this anymore, groaned Lenova. She rapped on the Surfian's hard exoskeleton and pointed at Donna. Take it away until she hatches out. The drone twisted its head in a quizzical gesture, but it did not approach Donna. So Donna rose and walked over to the Surfian instead. She could see her own face reflected over and over in its multifaceted eyes. Maybe you can remember, Miriam. Is there anything left of you in there? Take her away! Screeched Lenova and rapped against the insect's carapace again. The Surfian that had once been Miriam released the doctor's arm, then swiveled around to confront her tormentor. Lenova struggled with her handgun and placed it against the insect's exoskeleton, but she barely had time to gurgle a cry of protest before Miriam clacked her insect mandibles together and bit the surgeon's head clean off her shoulders. It bounced once on the carpet and rolled under the table. What remained of Lenova's body spasmed and the fingers tightened on the trigger. A shot blasted into the soft underside of Miriam's thorax. The dead bodies of the insect and the human slug hybrid collapsed in a heap together. The rest of the leaderless drones began to stagger around the room, half jumping, half flying, like bugs trapped behind window glass. The doctor seized Donna's hand, ready to flee from the room. Donna made him wait while she removed her army tunic and reverently covered Miriam's insect body. The doctor nodded approvingly. You continue to amaze me, Donna Noble. He took her hand and led her out of the shattered office. Commander Padova's centaurs brought the TARDIS to the Van Eyes Mobile Hospital. The doctor ferried samples backwards and forwards from the hospital facilities, swiftly concocting an antidote to the Surfian infection. Commander Padova and Lieutenant Jovich watched him in bemusement. Eventually, he burst through the TARDIS doors with a big grin and two large pots of coloured antidote. He waggled them at the soldiers. Here you go, he said. One five millilitre spoonful before meals may cause drowsiness. Do not attempt to operate heavy machinery. You serious? Donna asked him. Well, if I say that, maybe they'll lay off the military equipment for a bit, he muttered at her. Doctor's orders. We can hear you, Doctor, laughed Jovic. He had just returned from supervising a clean-up of the damaged hospital. The Doctor watched a group of human and Aquabi soldiers work together. Sergeant Chaco had rolled up his sleeves and his brawny arms tugged at a chain as he assisted a centaur with repairs to the mobile hospital. I'm impressed admitted the doctor. You found a way to cooperate. Looks like you're saddled with each other now. Yeah, grinned Jovic. We can start rebuilding recension instead of tearing it apart. High above, a couple of surfian insects flitted past, silhouetted in the twilight sky. What about them? Padova asked. When we need heavy machinery to shoot them down? Nah. The doctor told him, with all the queens destroyed in the fire and Lenova dead too, those insects are just mindless drones. They might give you a nasty nip if you upset them, I suppose. You wouldn't want them at your picnic. Just leave them alone and keep the lid on your jam jar. I suppose they'd be hard to squish, agreed Lieutenant Jovic, because of those chitinous exoskeletons. 
Well, where are you going to get a newspaper big enough to swap them? Agreed the doctor. And I think you'll find it's pronounced chitinous. Donna tugged at his sleeve. When it gets like this, I'll know it's time we were going. The doctor handed the flasks of antidote to Jovic before he and Donna slipped into the TARDIS. Once inside, Donna leaned heavily against the door. At last, she heaved a huge sigh and peered with distaste at the remains of her grubby soldier's uniform. Time for that long, warm bath. The doctor was already hurling himself around the TARDIS controls, whirling his arms. Hey, we could go to the lost baths of Bringadenignab, where the waters are naturally soapy because... No, said Donna firmly. Long soak, quiet room. The doctor paused in mid-whirl. Not very adventurous? I thought I amazed you. It can wear off, admitted the doctor. He pulled a stoppered test tube from the breast pocket of his jacket and handed it to her. Saved you some medicine. Enjoy your soak. She examined the test tube. Doctor, the Serfian that killed Lenova, what did make it turn on its queen? You must have touched whatever was left of Miriam, replied the doctor, activating the TARDIS controls. You reached something beyond that hard, chitinous exterior. I suppose that's further proof that it's not how you appear to others, but what's inside you that matters. Donna took a swig of antidote from the test tube. Don't remind me, she said as she left the room, dreaming of soap suds. <laughs> Doctor Who, Pest Control, by Peter Angelidis, was read by David Tennant. It was produced by Kate Thomas and is published by BBC Audiobooks. Thank you.